Celestial comets go through a myriad of life stages. There is, of course, the birth stage, where various elements mixed with ice, dust, and rocks begin to bond together, often miles in diameter, before forming a trajectory toward the sun. Eventually, this new formation reaches a perihelion stage, which is, as the name breaks down, when the comet is closest to the sun. At this point, the comet begins to rapidly heat up, molding all those various elements together, forming a nucleus or main body and a long tail, thus giving the shape we've become accustomed to. This is also when it is most visible to the human eye. The Hale-Bopp comet saw a perihelion stage for a record 18 months. Halley's comet's perihelion was closest to planet Earth of its type, making it, quote, visually overwhelming. It can be said the Houston comets reached their perihelion stage immediately after formation and lasted an unprecedented four years. In terms of sports dynasties, it was as visually overwhelming as you may ever find. Its trajectory was rough, with high speeds and rocky atmospheres, but above everything, it was undeniably the closest to the sun a franchise has been, or may ever be. This is part two of the story of the Houston Comets. This is W History. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to another episode of W History, where we chronicle some of the most interesting and influential stories in the WNBA and women's basketball. I'm Steve Schwartzman, and of course, I'm here with my esteemed colleagues, Kyle Haywood and Logan Jones. How's it going, fellas? Ah, so good. So good. And I am excited for this episode. I've been looking forward to this episode since we stopped recording the last episode. Yeah, it's been a while in the making. This is... Yeah. Yeah. Logan, how be? Yeah, I'm good. This is... uh, And I'm not kidding. The first thing I've done today... um, (laughs) Like, yesterday was like... For reference, it's 1030 and and <laughs> grilling and and I got a haircut and today I seriously I may have taken forty steps. Um, For oh reference, God. everybody, it's ten thirty at night. I, I'm just <laughs> I've just been anticipating this episode all day, like readying myself mentally and and not being very active in the process. <laughs> this is great. Absolutely. So, uh, for those who didn't look at the title before you started the episode, I love when people like introduce what an episode's going to be, but like they probably know because they hit, they hit play. <laughs> I think they would know. But, um, this is part two of our first series of W history. So basically the idea with W history, we chronicle, uh, different stories, players, teams, whatever have you, moments from the WNBA women's basketball. We'll be picking different stories as we go along. They may take an episode. They may take several episodes. This is, uh, to kick off the series, is a three-part special on the history of the WNBA's first real dynasty in the Houston Comets. Um, and we're now into part two. We're going to be uh, hitting a, a lot of the more fun years, you might say. So we'll see. But just to get like a recap as fast out of the way as possible, do either of you guys, I mean, we can do this like professor and student style. Do either of you guys want to take like a 10 second stab, 10 seconds or less? Just, just Ooh, summarize the I, first, the I, first I part two. It will probably not version. do well. What'd you say? I, I can give the real broad version. Okay. Go for it. Which, um, which I'm gonna is, let you, maybe I'll let you both right, do it, and right. then I'll just like... Here's my, here's my like 10 seconds or less. Yeah. The league was like, we need teams to be good and interesting, so we're going to let players play in their regional teams. But we don't want to overload teams with too much talent. But then the Comets got overloaded with too much talent anyway, even without a coach. And then they brought on like four walk-on players, 
And then Kim Parrott became my favorite player in WNBA history. Yep. Dude, um, that's that what was, I remember. Yeah, that was ninety-five percent verbatim of what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that was so. That was insane. Like including thing, Kim Parrott. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The only thing I was going to add is that Texas Terror is still a great sports team name. Oh, that's true. Um, we did Tech Arena football team names. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we we discussed uh, really the birth of the Houston Comets, how the beginning of the league came to be, uh, how Houston ended up with the squad, how how they ended up with a roster that um Val Ackerman, the original commissioner of the league, actually they said was a miss on their end because they they gave Houston what appeared to be some advantages that other teams may not have had. Now, I like to think when you look across rosters there definitely were still advantages across the way, but um, I mean, for goodness sake, you have two players that could easily be considered in top five WNBA history all on their own on this roster in their prime. So uh, just to set the tone um, for right now, obviously keeping um, certain things in mind. Actually, no, I'm not because the, the outline is going to dive through it. So episode one, if you listen to it, went through basically one year, you know, the announcement 96 into the start of the 97 season. We're going to be covering four seasons in this episode. And there's a very good reason why it's the four seasons that we're covering. But um, so, you know, just to be noted, I, if if things feel like they're moving a little bit quicker than normal, that's why we have a lot to cover. We don't necessarily want to make this like a six hour episode. This isn't, you know, Dan Carvin's hardcore history, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. You know, we're not that engaging well, and have that deep set I'll, of voice. I'll, I'll correct one thing there, Steve. We actually we do want to make this a six hour episode, but <laughs> we won't. We won't. Yeah, but for your do. sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just. Listen, you might 1.5 it and we won't blame you. It's just how we'll put it. <laughs> They're so all looking I, at how long this episode is right now going, mm? <laughs> I don't even so know as, how long it is yet. So as we hit on last episode, you guys might remember, there's two very key stages to the lifeline of a comet. There's the perihelion stage and the aphelion stage. We're going to be talking a lot of perihelion Houston comets yes. this episode. When uh, you might say the, the comets were closest to the sun. Uh, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. The 1997 season. Let's do this. Let's start this off with the inaugural 1997 season. So after a preseason that included signing two generational players, a Brazilian superstar, and the top pick in the draft, while very nearly having to use a temp agency to hire a head coach. I mean, that's not <laughs> technically true, but I, is it? it, it no? When you said very nearly, I believe they were almost to that point. <laughs> like they were just going to put out an ad just in the some paper. dude. <laughs> Show up, give us your resume. Uh, the Houston Comets walked into the inaugural WNBA season ready to make good on team owner Les Alexander's guarantee that his team would win the inaugural WNBA championship. So it's two <laughs> days before the inaugural season kicks that. off. Right. And and remember all of the weight that comes behind this. This is, uh, you know, a very huge undertaking by the NBA. Now, now of course, WNBA in general, uh, the Comets, guiding a lot of pieces, you have your stars, you have, you know, whatnot. There's just so much going on. Your generational player that kicked off the squad isn't even a part of the squad yet because of, uh, because pregnancy. Um, and it's two days before the inaugural season kickoff and your star rookie first pick in the first ever draft, Tina Thompson breaks her nose. Mm. Uh, she suffers a broken nose in practice. Actually, she in a in a preseason game, she collided with another player, broke her nose. However, she was able to have it realigned later in the day uh, and was expected to play in the season debut, which would take place June 21st, 1997, against, you want to take a guess? 
Let's see, Houston. First game. Houston yeah. would have been against LA. No, because LA played New York in the in the inaugural yeah. game. It was like the so, first ever game. So I'm going with my favorite. I'm going with the Cleveland Rockers. And you'd be correct. It was the Cleveland nice. Rockers. Oh, sweet. Wow. Uh, so June twenty first against the Rockers. The that worked. <laughs> now, to confirm she was going to play, Thompson actually had a custom designed face mask that was developed by Thomas DeBello of Houston-based Dynamic Orthotics. So she had a custom fitted. She paid it out of pocket. I'm going to play in this game. Y'all can count on me. And that's very much a theme of a lot of these players. They, does this like, mark the uh, the first time in WNBA history that a player just paid them for their, their own, like, you know what, I'll just take care of it. Uh, and then 30 years later, we were still doing that. Like, yeah. I'll just take care of my own health. That classic, like, a teacher who had to pay for their own chalk type of thing. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Also, the, is this the first time that someone's balled out in a mask? Because okay, as we know, was, I thought Logan was going to say, "Is like this is the first time?" Because I'm like, we've had a lot of Deladon, Subert. Like, we've got some mask history. Ooh, and, there's and a the whole. Way, there's this, our next episode of yeah. W history. History is, of the mask in the WNBA. That's. I was actually thinking about that. As yeah, it's actually a thought I've had. Um, because this might be the biggest one, right? Because you had. I'm just going to share two examples, but there's others. You know, Subert wore a mask, right? And had a huge push in the semifinals and was a key point in the finals, which is great. Lady Deladon had a mask and was able to push the Mystics over a grueling five-game series to win a championship. Tina Thompson put on a mask and they won four rings. So it's, <laughs> you know, she didn't wear it for four years. But, I mean, if you're talking about cause and effect, um, this, this is all because so of the magic of the if, mask. If I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that if people are, are out and about, maybe they should consider wearing masks. Is, <laughs> that, is when, that what you're saying? When in doubt, I have this on a bumper sticker that sits on my wall. I look at it every single day. When in doubt, break your nose. That is, <laughs> that's how I live life. If, if you, and I've, you guys know me, I've got a huge nose. So, you know, there's always opportunities for greatness. <laughs> Guys, let's talk about this, the uh, inaugural debut. So we're now to June 21st, 1997. The inaugural debut against Cleveland was well anticipated for a myriad of reasons. Along with the launch of a new cutting-edge basketball league, Cynthia Cooper, now tasked with being the face of a team who had a previous face already cemented, was also facing off against her longtime idol and Italian league rival Lynette Woodward, who, uh, Woodard, sorry, uh, who was very much considered to be, um, you know, Really, the star at the time of the Rockers basketball, uh, national basketball was it Naismith Hall of Fame? Ooh. I always get the name wrong. Uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, and fun fact: the first female member of the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, I was gonna say uh, I know that name, but I can. Yeah, yeah she no, like, can I just uh, say this feels very Disney to have the first real like head-to-head face-off be like. Like, she's from Italy, but she's, like, the best over there. And, like, every childhood sports movie I ever watched was always like, don't worry, like, they're good, but they're from another country. So, like, we know who we're rooting for. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Super That's fun. Good. Um, and, of course, this is this is on the road. It was a sold-out Gund Arena in Cleveland. We're going to start this game off with some really quick uh, trivia. Uh, either of you, uh, you get one guess. Who scored the first basket in Comets history? Oh, in Comets history? Yeah. I thought you were going to ask for uh, NBA, WNBA history. As a matter of fact, uh, it's gonna, this is two-part. I want you to give me the, the name, and I want to give me a timestamp. When in the game did the ball go in? I'm going to say 
35 seconds in and it was Tina Thompson. Uh, I don't even know. Kim at the seven second mark, just right off the bat, right, <laughs> right from the tip. Boom. She just, 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 just drops one. I love so it. So the Comets first WNBA basket scored at the 1801 marks this is almost two minutes in by Brazil's Janeth Arcane. Whoa. Uh, yeah. So that was huge. So about the end, we're talking about other overseas stars. You've got, you know, Janeth, uh, Pride of Brazil. Score the first basket in the history of the franchise. This would kick off a pretty red hot first half, which was led by Cooper Thompson and Arcane, who collectively shot 20 for 29, Whoa. 77% from the field. Holy and crap. it entered the first half with the 27 point lead. So <laughs> Les is feeling pretty good points? about himself at the halftime. Yeah. Oh my word. Exactly. Now they, they maintain so, momentum for the so most So rock and roll has been dead in Cleveland for longer than maybe we thought because <laughs> yeah. it didn't even get out of that first half. But I will say <laughs> Cleveland did make a push and they weren't able to cut the lead down, uh, to a 20 point win. So it was 76 56. They were able to Jeez. cut down the 27 point lead. Yeah. So, so very impressive first, uh, inaugural game by the, uh, by the comments. Arcane was impressive herself, of course, with 16 points on eight for 12 shooting and four steals. Thompson, broken nose and all, registered 14 points and had four of this team's six blocks. Oh. Uh, so she had four blocks in her first night uh, in her professional career. But of course, the night for Lamry goes to Cynthia Cooper, who led the squad with 25 points, also led the team in rebounds and assists. And keep in mind, this was a player that they said, go ahead and have her if this helps to make up for swoops, you know, <laughs> miss race. She led the team in three herself. categories on game one. So, exactly. oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of 20... assists to go around when you're shooting 77% from that's the floor. True. But that's, that's the 21st yeah. of June, right? First day of summer. Heading into the end of June on the 30th, they take this and roll with it to a season open victory. And, and believe it or not, they actually end the, the month with a five and three record in their first eight games. Not hmm. catastrophic, but not terribly yeah. impressive. However, a stat that I think illustrates, uh, the meaning of this. To illustrate the prowess of this team, this would be tied for the worst record over an eight-game stretch during their 97 to 2001. Oh, my <laughs> word. Are you serious? They never, over any eight block is... of eight games, ever were worse than five and three. That's insane. In oh, fact, that's, that's I, would that, I would say that that's, that's also, for the record, by a mile. Like, it's not to say, oh, they did that a bunch. Like, it happened a couple times. But usually it was like seven and one and eight. No. Like... <laughs> She's a very good basketball team. So, uh, also at the end of the month, uh, the Comets' performance in July got a little bit more lukewarm. They actually went six and five over that month, which makes the eight and three thing a little strange. But they they basically tied that record again in the month, and it totaled in the six and five bit. So you're looking at a team at this point that is eleven and eight, uh, generally playing well, but they're certainly in need. Of some sort of morale boost. This is a team that knows they have the talent, but things aren't directly clicking. And a part of that yeah. could be because if they pulled in a coach at like the last second, and right outside of this, because Van that was said, well, like, there's nothing wrong with eleven and eight as long yeah. as you don't come out at the beginning of the season and guarantee it a ring. We're to getting your the city. chip, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now the team's in need of a boost, and it couldn't have come at a perfect time. Sheriff Swoops participates in her first practice right at the end of July. Um, so she participates in her first team workout. Uh, Chancellor during that workout was asked, 
when fans can expect to see Swoops actually take the court in a game, you know, she's working out. Chancellor says, this is one of my favorite quotes. It's hard to tell, but we keep her jersey with us at all times. <laughs> it's basically him saying, listen, we need Cheryl. Wait. <laughs> so, yeah. so, like, if it's halftime in a must-have game, he's not ruling out the possibility of I, trotting out Swoops. You, you talked the about the Disney quarter. idea. The, I love the idea, like, the classic <laughs> Disney idea of, like, he slowly turns to the crowd and looks at her. And he nods and she nods. And the next shot is her just taking the court in for some reason. I'm picturing a mighty Dex uniform, but it's a Houston Comets. Uniform. Yeah, exactly. Like we're, and we're, we're having fun with it, but this guy is literally saying like, I don't leave her gear at home just in case, like just, <laughs> just never know. in case. Like basically when she ready, we ready. Right. Um, so quickly thereafter, uh, it is announced swoops would make her WNBA debut in the summit in Houston, August 7th when the Comets host the Phoenix Mercury. So let's go ahead and cut to the day. Why as well? Swift's performance in her debut honestly was short in terms of basketball. She only played for the last five minutes of the first half. She only touched the ball once uh, before she sat the second half entirely. Her five minutes and 18 seconds are the only numbers that registered her stat sheet. It's pretty funny to look at. It's five, 18, and then zeros across the board. Wow. Like basically, nothing sounds. Huh. But... Where that lacked in basketball, it, the spiritual performance proved pretty valuable. You had a sold-out crowd of 10,001 uh, who were uh, lively, raucous. They said it was one of the best ovations they've had all season. This definitely was a team that was feeling the hope, even if she didn't play well. And for the record, that one was actually her newborn son, Jordan Eric, uh, who attended a game with, with her uh, her baby daddy at the time, which... As someone who has a two-year-old, it, it, I can't speak to whether or not that was wise, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun moment. So bringing a new bird to anything, like, I couldn't bring Henry to, like, a restaurant. Like, it just, yeah. I'm just a parent that might have been, and, and I'm not kidding. That might have been the first five minutes she had spent, like, not right by her newborn side, right? Like, there's not yeah. a lot of time... Where where you're uh, you know that you're still sleeping in the room with them so I don't know I don't have a baby but like yeah like it's it's hard like I remember when we were talking about going to Vegas for the All Star game and you and Jenny were like we haven't been away from the baby for like yeah. ever okay so like, when, well, we went, when we went to the All Star game that was the first time we ever left Henry for any extended amount of time we did go to a concert one night like and he was babysat for like four hours so it was definitely the first time we had a night away from him. And I kid you not, and Kyle, I don't know if this is somewhat of a similar experience you had with kids, but like we, like we were driving to Kyle's house, it was like a two hour drive. Like the first 90 minutes of that drive was both of us just sobbing in the car. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just like, I can't believe like that first, go ahead. And I'm the dad. Like I don't have the connection that mom has. That's at a whole different level. Um, it is a tough thing. And like, that, yeah, that's a part of it just to be like, this is kind of you the first time you get to go and do your thing when you've been welcoming this person into your life and you know it's an interesting thing now keep in mind like we said swoops was really you know the the star of the night in a lot of ways because she showed up people were excited cooper on the other hand in terms of actual basketball picked up or swoops couldn't dropped 34 points uh to help the comets to a close four point victory over the mercury the narrative at this point would be very natural and it's incredibly intriguing. I think it's a pretty obvious narrative. This is the queen of the pride returning from time away to rule her domain to find someone 
who has ruled that domain triumphantly in her stead, who on the night of her return made the statement that she has no intention of returning that mantle easily. And this becomes a very classic story of, you know, just just two bulls, right? Like, how is, you know, what's the balance going to be? Um, and this, this, it just, this rears itself a lot. Just be prepared. I, I think this tells a lot of the story, not only of the success they have now, but it kind of tells a lot of the story about how things ended in the long run. Um, let's, let's cut for a few days, August 12th. The wait for Swoop's return to form wouldn't last long. It only took about a week. It's just a week later, Swoops drops 18 points and six rebounds in just 21 minutes against the Ooh. Utah Stars. So that now the comments have very good and not much time. Yeah. Now the, now the comments have their first start back. Their second start is dominating and their deep roster is getting deeper pretty much by the night. So this is where things get interesting. As, as you guys know, the lifeline of WNBA season, we're in August. This is actually pretty close to the end of the season. Um, it was, I believe is a 30 game season to, to start things off. So as you guys know, you know, there's not many, you know, we're getting pretty close to things. Mm-hmm. So we're hitting August 12th. Um, this is really where this situation gets interesting. And we've talked about the backstory. We have an owner who guaranteed a championship. We have a team that was able to be given a lot of stars. They've had a lot of ups and downs. They played well in their first two months, but there were sputters here and there. They have their flagship star who's just barely getting really into the swing of things. There is a detail that I left out earlier when we, uh, when we talked about that first month. I did mention the comments going five and three in their first eight games. I want to do another trivia with you guys. If you guys can guess the team, uh, the teams that comprised those losses, those three losses. Yeah. Um, who's I'd say the sparks, the monarchs and the mercury. Yeah. You have any thoughts yourself, Logan? Uh, I, I, my guess is as good as Kyle's. Like those were, I mean, I was going <laughs> to definitely say LA Phoenix is a good guess. So we talked to, okay. So we talked about five and three. So let's break this down in the first games in the inaugural WNBA season, the Comets registered victories against the Cleveland Rockers, the Phoenix Mercury, the Utah stars and the Charlotte sting. Their okay. first three losses came June 26th against the New York Liberty, July 2nd against the New York Liberty. And July 4th against the New York Liberty. Oh, wow. Okay. August 17th. <laughs> what up, their, Lobo? <laughs> be their yeah. final regular season matchup in Madison Square Garden. And the stakes could not be higher. The oh, because they were, this weren't win. they playing in the Eastern Conference, like their first season? Yeah, they were. They were an Eastern Conference team and then switched to which West it was after kind of that first it was year, very right? arbitrary in these early years in these early years just because of the number of teams right but yeah they they switched to as things expanded they switched to the western conference so this is their final game at the square garden very high stakes the Comets definitely need this win to swipe really the most paramount monkey off of their regular season shoulder to prove they can outlast rebecca lobel and what i call the their spoons which is the two, there's, there's the Witherspoon and the Weatherspoon. <laughs> Weatherspoon, uh, yeah. Two players. <laughs> and most of all, the Comets need this win because they walk into the game, the, into this night down one game behind the Liberty in the loss column for home court advantage throughout the playoffs. So th- th- it's obviously very telling. Now, as expected, think about it. Three losses, 
two juggernaut rosters. As expected, this is another hard-fought, razor-thin, wire-to-wire. I'm just kidding. The comments crushed him. Uh, the comments had five Ooh. players in double digits, two players with rebounds in double digits, four players with two or more steals, and five players who registered blocks, all in all holding the Liberty to their second lowest point total of the season in a 70 to 55 win. They Ooh. played angry. <laughs> Yikes. Needed I'd it. Say they, I'd say they're starting to, you know, uh, peak Feeling at the that right heat. time. Yeah. Good, yeah exactly. good on, uh, I mean, think about that Liberty locker room coming in three and zero against this team that you have to beat in order to defend your home court and you know advantage in the playoffs. <clears throat> yep. You're probably already thinking about the playoffs because these guys haven't been a threat to you at all. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, on the most important week of the year, you you, yeah. you know how many how many steals did you say? Like how that's got to be a ton of turnovers if multiple players had. Yeah, multiple I don't steals. have the box score in front of me, but they nailed them in the turnover game. I mean, it was just one of those nights where. You had one team locked in and another team just not prepared for the adjustments that the other squad made. And also, you think about it, you know, those, th- those first three losses were well before Swoops was a part of the roster. I mean, it was just one of those things where by this time, the Liberty are playing a totally different Houston team. And, you know, it speaks a lot of volumes. Now, really think back on this night because this play pays a dividend for a very long time. We'll keep coming back to the impact of this specific night. Because the Comets lose two of their last three games of the season. Right? They entered that night one game out of the top spot. They lose two of the three last games of the season. However, the cathartic win over New York proved to be exponentially valuable when the Liberty followed with a four-game losing streak, which Ooh. puts the Comets first in the standings, walking into the playoffs by one game. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This so is your fault, New York. Needed it? <laughs> this needed is it. all on you. Four Jeez. years of dominance and you, it's because yeah. you had a bad month. Like, <laughs> does it get more James Nolan than that? But like, James Nolan than that, but. So we've gone through a lot of this. Who's ready to talk playoffs? Yes. Cause want to talk playoffs. Let's do this thing. Playoffs. So it's August 27th. <laughs> playoffs. <laughs> um, it's August 27th, 1997. Um, to start things off, this is a four-team single elimination playoff that would kick off the next day on the 28th with the Comets hosting the Charlotte Sting. Uh, mm. But not before the Comets pull in a bevy of hardware. As Cooper and Thompson receive first-team honors, Van Chancellor, who, by the way, was the last hired coach, wasn't even in his seat by the draft, received <laughs> Coach of the Year honors, and Cynthia Cooper becoming the first NBA Most Valuable Player. So right before the playoffs start, it's just like, give us all the goods. Uh, That's you know, it speaks awesome. to a lot of the effectiveness that year. So let's head to the next day. The Sting had three players in double digits in the semifinal game with Vicky Bullet, one of the best names in the history of the league and a yes. great all-star. Uh, just one rebound shy herself of a double-double. But the Comets still coast to a 70 to 54 victory. The This was a sting team that was locked in offensively that couldn't get within 16 points of the team. And thus the Comets punched their ticket to the inaugural WNBA championship final. The final would then take place two days later against the New York Liberty. Oh, of course. Are you going to tell me that the, like, uh, is this going to be like a bill situation where the Liberty are like their opponents for four straight years? I can't render a comment. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it's not quite that. But it's really also, sad. I'm, I'm not pretty sure they, you are. they met at least it's, twice off the top of my head, but I can't remember. Pretty, 
you're you're it's not quite but man are you close yeah it's like <laughs> i said think back on that night in madison square garden it pays real dividends uh so so the final would take place two days later against the liberty the liberty walk into the final with a three and one record on the comets through the season but that one comet win takes on the most weight because we already talked about where to put them in the standings and put them right. in momentum it was also it was the recent. swing that assured yeah it also was the swing that assured that houston has the home court in the single elimination championship final. What? They Ooh. went through, they went one and three against that team and they got the home court. Yeah. Because of that is essentially that last game. Yeah. That turns it all around. The, the Liberty dropped four games and now they have the home court advantage in, in the only single elimination final in the history of the league. <laughs> so let, so let's hit it. Uh, I'm going to make this one quick. Every now and again, when it gets to playoffs, people will be like, man, that was fast. Sometimes it just does that. On the back of Cynthia Cooper's 25 points, Thompson's 18 points, Tammy Jackson, who we haven't talked about Tammy much at all since last episode, drops 11 rebounds and a rabbit sellout crowd from the summit. The Houston Comets defeat the Liberty 65 to 51 to become, as Les Alexander predicted just months before, the inaugural WNBA champion. To the shock of absolutely nobody was awarded finals MVP. So they got it. That's one. They got one in the bag. You're not getting one in the bag. They're raising yeah. the roof. Um, and I didn't, uh, I didn't know that New York's basketball disappointment for the past 30 years extended just <laughs> as much to the Liberty as it does to the Knicks. <laughs> It, there's actually, way there's, there's reasons whole, to believe a, it's worse i was gonna say because that's a whole WNBA history episode in and of itself yeah that i would love to get into if, a really good example of it if you want to to check it out so sb nation has a series called untitled which i, I talked to you about this earlier but it chronicles mm-hmm. players who you know great elite level players in different sports and how they were able to go through their career without winning a championship. And one thing about the WNBA is most every great player has found their way to a championship one way or another. And this specifically right. chronicles Becky Hammond and how she was unable to win a championship, mm-hmm. spends the bulk of her career with the Liberty tells a lot of the story. I mean, it's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, just how the Liberty could be the, legendary story team in this they could be that part of this history and it's just a few things here and there that make it where they're not the story and the comments are and by the way adds more to the intrigue of which one of those teams is still around yeah right who uh, like who just drafted like maybe the most important college women's basketball player in a decade yeah and yeah yeah still waiting for their first title Uh, yeah it's the it's now so I want to have weird. another series on just the history of the Liberty. It's so weird how many storyline norms this story breaks. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just so much to it. It's crazy. Um, really quick, before we move on, let's hit this inaugural season. I mean, what are your guys' immediate thoughts coming out of this first year? I Well, they started out not... Didn't you say they were like 11 and 8 or something? Is yeah. that what, Was that the number? That's... So- crazy that 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 team starting so slow goes on but i guess if it's a single elimination two game 
playoff, right? You just have one semifinal and then a championship. I get yeah. it. And they finished first. At, yeah. What was their what was their final record at regular season? Do you have that off the top of your head? I want to say they were 20 and 10, something to that effect, but I can look it up really fast. Um but yeah, yeah. keep going and I, I I've got but even then that's not like an insane it's not like a, a crazy like you're way ahead of the rest of the pack. It's, that's not enough. They wins finish. To it's have actually your worse than that. They, they finished the, the season. And you're going to be the winners of the yeah. championship. Yeah. They finished the season <laughs> 18 and 10. Okay. Oh, plus yeah. the two. Okay, 30 game season including the two playoff games. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um. Here's I have two two thoughts. One is I don't know if a single elimination championship game is crazy or awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like no series, not even like a three game it. series. Just- it's so it's so it's it's really prescient because there's no telling if we're gonna see a bunch of those or not this year from that's either basketball true. league. We might, yeah, yeah, that's true. But I like I, I initially you told us that, and I was like, oh, I hate that. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, do I? Because <laughs> I, as a basketball fan, I want as much playoff and championship basketball as possible. I think. Elena Deladon and and five games of championship basketball last year was like, yes, you know, we need every <laughs> single one of these, but put up or shut up time between teams that, yeah. you know, I, I dig it. The other thing I, I really took away is we haven't gotten too many more games in the season in over 20 years. I mean, a 28 yeah. game regular season is now what, like 34. Yeah, which it technically was going to extend to thirty six this year, but thirty six. Uh, so they only added. They only added like now, six games. Granted, they've expanded teams and they've they've stayed a summer. They're a summer season, right? So there's only so long yeah. they can go. But that's still interesting to me. Yeah, exactly. Really it, interesting. Yeah, it, the expansion. We'll talk a little bit about season expansion, but it it definitely is a baby step scenario for certain. Okay. All right. All right, so let's hit the off season. Uh, we're just going to get right to the end of the year, 1997. The 97 off season would be highlighted uh, league wide with the WNBA announcing regular season expansion from 28 to 30 games. So we talked about how it was 30 games plus playoffs. Now it's going to be 30 games for the regular season, as well as a best of three playoff format um, for the playoffs. So it'd be best Cranking of three semis. Up. I like still it. four teams: best of team sem- best of three semis, best of three finals. It would also include the addition of Two teams. So going from eight teams to ten, back to some trivia. Uh, can you guys name the two teams? Uh, Detroit? No, that Detroit. Is correct. Was, that's that's oh, is it? Kyle, you're correct. The Detroit Shock. Logan, can you name the other one? Uh, it has to be Washington, right? Because they're old. Mm-hmm. You guys are incredible. Yes, Whoa. the Mystics. Dude, I, I feel super smart now. I really didn't think you guys would be that on the money, but wow. I, I was, I, in a million years, I would have forgotten Detroit, but I, I I, was like, the Mystics are an old team. They've been around. Honestly, yeah. I just thought, I was just going through teams, and I, I hit Sun. I was like, no, the Sun. Okay, no, Tulsa. No, Detroit. Like, wait, when did Detroit? Was Detroit there, original eight? And I couldn't remember, so I just guessed. There are a few over the next couple of years where you'll go, how was Detroit first? Like, it'll it'll be interesting. <laughs> for sure, but yeah. Well, Chicago in, Chicago in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hunt, Hunt, the dream two years after that. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and with that, we roll into the year 1998. So kicking off 1998, uh, just going over general offseason. The offseason for Cooper herself was extremely eventful. She had appearances on The Late Show with David Letterman and The Rosie O'Donnell Show. And keep in mind, this was back when that actually was a big deal. You guys remember the Rosie, the Rosie O'Donnell was show deal. is basically the El, like Ellen before, mm-hmm. uh, before Ellen was kind of rosy in a way. Um, and also paired with rocket superstar Clyde Drexler to win. Uh, I know Kyle specifically is going to love this to win the inaugural NBA two ball event during NBA all-star weekend. Oh yes. I, I remember I have that. to take a, a quick moment of silence after hearing Rocket Superstar Clyde Drexler. That's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, NBA. it's right, it's right, but it's wrong. Oh, are you are you talking about two time NBA champion Rocket yep. Star Clyde yep. Drexler? Hall of like Famer, former Trailblazer, but two time champion with the Rockets. Hall of Famer in his Rockets jersey, Clyde Drexler. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Does that hurt? Does that does that hurt the Monmouth Oregon with Tigers? With, um, with with uh with Rockets Hakeem Olajuwon, who we missed out on because of a literal coin flip, <laughs> a literal coin flip. <laughs> Look, I've made my Samboy takes very I loud like before, Boy. so I yeah. I, <laughs> if you were a scout in '84, you also would have picked him. But whatever, I, it happens. Uh, it happens, my dude. But two ball, did, did two you ball, did you play two ball? The two ball era, Kyle. So it's not two ball poison. Yeah, I remember two ball. It's not two ball poison. It's where they each have a bike. It's where they're shooting from different spots on the court that have different yep. uh point values. Yep. Right. There were point values across the court. You had to have, I believe, at least one pass in between shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a pass element to it, but it was a time clock bit. Um, so there were a lot of strategies. I actually it's so funny because I'm the least talented basketball player of the three of us by like miles and miles. I actually was uh, a regional semifinalist for two ball. Nice. Uh, my friend Cameron and I uh, did two ball. He was like four feet taller than me at the time. And we were <laughs> semifinalists. We made it to, we played on Paul, the Poly Pavilion court in, at UCLA. If we'd have made it through that, we would have been to a regional final at uh, the great Western forum. Dude. And if we'd have gotten through that, we would have been in a competition to go to this all-star weekend. Uh, but we barely, we barely (laughs) missed out at at Polly and it was fun. (laughs) That's awesome. I got to meet, I got to meet, I I just love because I got to meet Michael Oluwakandi when he was, when he was a rookie with the Clippers. That's the most random. There's, I met the candy man. It was dope. There's gets and then there's big gets and then there's what Steve gets. That is, I bet that is another category. I met three Steve players. Steve is no longer allowed day. to be jealous of anyone in the rest I of met, his life. I met, th- I met three players, all Clippers players. They, they rolled out the Clippers for that night. I assume they rolled out Lakers when at, at the forum. <laughs> I met three players. I met I met Candyman. I met Eric Pietkowski, and I met Vinny Del Negro. Those were the three no, players you I met, met that day. <gasps> you met Vinny Del Negro. Wow, <laughs> absolutely. 
Best ever. I am green with jealous rage. Why hasn't he been on the show? If you have a personal connection, why like, hasn't he been on the show? I, like, Vinny oh Del Negro gosh. remembers one of 40 10-year-olds who were in a gym give, one day. Give him a call, because I know he's in your contacts list. In his, in his warm-ups, wishing he was anywhere else. I think he was, I think he went to the Spurs, like, right after that. Um, like he was gone at like that point. Uh, yeah, that was, that's my little jump through of, of who I met in our two ball tournament. By that's the way, incredible. 99.9% of that was my buddy Cameron. Cause he was, he was, he was like six foot one as a fifth grader. It's just really good. And just, yeah, like he had, he had a shot. He could shoot three. So yeah, it was mostly him. I, 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 I've always considered, even at my old crappy age, I think I'm a decent passer, and I think it was because of two ball with Cameron, because I just had to get the ball to him as quickly as possible. That was just how it worked. Um, but yeah, so that was a lot more talk about Cooper playing two ball than I thought we were going to do, but I digress. Um, also, uh, to, to switch things over, so this is Cooper's update, but also in the offseason, um, Nike released their Zoom technology line. Yes, I've been waiting on off, this. To, to kick off the Zoom line... They released two different shoes. First, there was Jason Kidd's Nike Zoom Flight Fives, and then there was the Nike Air Swoop Zoom, Air which was swoops, which was listed by Complex as the greatest women's sneaker of all time. Oh. Fun fact. And who are we to argue? Because look <laughs> at these babies. Oh, they're pretty. They're gorgeous. It's a good looking <laughs> shoe. I, I we'll have another one come up before long. That I right, we'll just talk. We'll, we'll talk later, but. We'll get to what this is not the end of the sneaker discussion, but the swoop Good. zoom. Yeah. The swoop zoom. I, okay. I could talk we, women's basketball sneakers for a year. We need the hardest return. I mean, there, there's definitely women getting like colorways and getting their own lines in some way, but we, we need the, the, there was a hype that came with these shoe releases. We need to bring that hype. When Sabrina gets her, Line, She's getting a shoe. It needs to be real hype. She's get getting a shoe. She might be the first player that could straight up get her own full on line. Like, <laughs> we may if not she, get Jordan the Jordan Yanescu. Like, she might just get her shoe if she performs and is an all star and instantly like the marketable player she she was in college at the NBA level. She's got the Nike deal inked already. She I, she and, she'll have a shoe and and I'll buy them. Yeah, I'll buy them and put them on a shelf if they only make them in women's sizes. If they look, yeah. if they look the, nice, the I'm not Nike, buy them two sizes bigger, Logan, and wear the, them. The, the <laughs> Nike Air Max like Sabrinas, you'd do that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> calm, calm the triple doubles. Okay, the Air Swoop Zoom. If they release black and Liberty teal shoes, a, a pair of black and seafoam, I wouldn't even question it. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> just, just natural grunt noises coming out of Logan. <laughs> Thinking of sneakers. <laughs> Guys, let's hit February. February in 98, there were some roster moves that would start to piece together uh, the roster for more long term. First and foremost, the Mystics would take Tammy Jackson in the expansion draft. So they lose one of their more hard set defenders and, and possibly the top rebounder on the team. Then we move into the 98 draft, which is a much different vibe for the Comets because they go from the top pick to the last pick. More trivia. Who was the first pick in the 98 draft? Ooh. I, I, oh, I can't Oh, get... uh, last pick of the 98 draft? 
the first pick of oh the first sorry, pick. I, 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 I it's Margot Didic, I don't know. right? Wasn't it Mar, Mar, Margot Didic, the Utah Stars top pick? Okay, I thought you said last pick, and I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, Margot Didic to the Stars. Yeah, I do know. Didic, I remember Kyle, watching her play. Kyle is acing these, and I am like pretending yeah. I'm with the rest of the class. I'm like, yeah, I. If you would have called on me, I probably would have gotten. <laughs> but Teacher, I, I was just about to say Margot Didic. Way behind. <laughs> Here's why it's interesting though. Um, yeah, so, so, Margot Dita to the stars. Second pick is Tichi Pinachero to, to the Monarchs. Monarchs. yeah. Solid draft. Really fun draft. Um, that said, the Comets do fairly well for themselves in the draft. They pick up Bulgarian star Polina Chakova in the first round. They also pick up Nile Roberts from Old Dominion in the second round. And very importantly, in the final two rounds, they get Amaya Baldemoro from the Spain and former USC Trojan Monica Lamb Powell. And those are two very pivotal players over time. So they do decent for themselves, even though the, the vibe of that draft is extremely different to what they experienced the year before when they found themselves landing Tina Thompson at a whole cloth. Um, now, we talked a lot of offseason. We've certainly talked a lot of sneakers. Let's just jump into the 98 season. This is a fun one. The 1998 season. The second WNBA season would kick off with a 97 rematch in the summit Cooper. Uh, so it's a 97 finals rematch against Liberty again at home against uh, in Houston. Cooper racks up 18 points, five assists. Thompson leads on the glass with eight rebounds and Kim Parat produces a yes. fun stat line. That's one of my favorite stat lines of this whole episode. Seven rebounds, seven assists, seven steals. Oh, sweet. Stop uh, dribbling the ball near Kim Parat. <laughs> just stop it <laughs> just get it away from her um the night uh however goes to really full steam the swoops who drops 28 points and four steals and the comets win by 11 so that kicks off the season heading through june the comets would win their first five games of the season and they end june with an eight and one record five and three last year eight and one this time so really if there are any doubts that existed in 97, that Houston was the biggest force in the league. Those are all but gone at this point. Yeah. Now we head to July. And honestly, a bit of a scary occurrence takes place at this point. I mean, think of the momentum they have at 98 with this eight and one record. Um, as Cheryl swoops collapses toward the end of practice, uh, coach chancellor was running some basically drills toward the end of a final walkthrough and swoops all of a sudden sits down, drops down on the edge of the court, and, and he's immediately rushed to the hospital. Now, mm. doctors aren't able to pin down the source of the issue. Uh, she is released pretty quickly. She's in full health. Everything seems fine. They talked about how apparently she was smiling and talking to people. They somewhat cite dehydration as a potential core factor. Um, but outside of that, they sit her for one game as a precaution and she's good to go. But it was it was definitely a scary moment. It had a little bit of a toll. And there was a lot of chatter as I read through different articles at the time of Gee, I mean, are they going to be able to continue their momentum? That was, we didn't know what was going to happen. Is this, is this going to work out? And let's see how they go. So they roll through July. Um, let's do some more trivia. They're eight and one at the end of June. Anyone want to guess the uh, comments record at the end of July? Hmm. I bet they still have only, I bet they last one more I, game. I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, uh, well, Kyle probably got it right. I'll say they have three losses. <laughs> The Comets ended June at eight and one. The Comets would end July at twenty and one. Ah, jeez. 
I I prices right at him, and he still got it. If you can find, <laughs> if you can find any highlights of the '98 Comet season, unreal. This was such a good basketball team. Now it's around this time that a peculiar development does happen. After going undefeated in July, the Comets lose their first game in August, falling in overtime by just three points to the Rockers. So they're twenty and two, right? Losses suck, but they're 20 and two at this point. They're well ahead of the rest of, of their conference in the standings. Just after the second loss of the season in a very dominant season, reports start to surface of locker room turmoil, mainly with Cooper, who reportedly, quote, went ballistic, close quote, in the locker room post game, noting Ooh. frustration with what she called individual, quote, so this is directly from her, quote, individualistic play instead of focus on the team, close quote. Chancellor Cooper then immediately began meeting to resolve the issue, including what she felt to be a diminished role compared to the previous season. And I bring this up especially now because there's a really strange theme of this happening where this frustration comes up Sometimes it's at strange moments because things seem to be going well and they commonly come from similar people. It's a really interesting story. And as I said before, it, it kind of helps lead into how all this ends in a way, um, how maybe writing so high doesn't quite glean people and open them up to, to what were the symptoms in front of them that led to what happened. So this weird turmoil happens, but keep in mind, they're still a 20 and two basketball team. So amid all that noise, there was actual basketball. And that continues with a 20 point win in Utah over the stars. This is okay. coupled. This is coupled. I warned you guys about this a while back. This is coupled with my absolute favorite quote, possibly like one of my abs- easily top three favorite quote moment of this whole series we're doing. Uh, I just love this so much. I, I hope this lands as well as it does because I had so much fun with this. The stars are currently in the middle of an abysmal year. Right. They fire their they head not coach. Good. And they bring in an interim Hall of Fame NBA head coach Frank Layden. No. To take over. <laughs> yeah. Frank freaking Layden, um, who kicked off the, the Utah Jazz like 23 year playoff streak. Um, Frank Layden. Um, oh which, my I mean, word! That's amazing. Name like a car commercial in the mid '90s that didn't have Frank Ladies <laughs> in Utah. I mean, that was a, that was a real dude back then. That's a huge. So, that's that might be the biggest like coaching hire of the WNBA yeah. so far, right? What? Yeah. In in nineteen as far in nineteen ninety eight, right? Yeah. There is an exception that we'll get to a little later, but okay, like, you're you're pretty well close. I mean, it was a big. It was a name. What I'm about to share, I just decided to pull directly from W.H. Stickney of the Houston Chronicle, Houston Chronicle, because I think he tells the story better than I could. So I'm just going to pull this directly. I love this so much. So uh, from the Chronicle, quote, Tina Thompson only thir- was only 13 years old when Frank Layden, a former NBA coach of the year, retired as coach of the Utah Jazz and eventually accepted a position in the front office. I'm going to pause really quick to let you know that there's going to be some pauses and inflections coming up, and those are by design. So. I'll just let you know when quotes end here. But uh, Thompson was asked what effect it might have on the Utah Stars that Layden was recently named head coach. Quote Thompson, I don't even know who that is, said Thompson. (laughs) When told of some of Layden's accomplishments with the Jazz, 
Thompson, who was lacing on a protective sleeve around her ankle, paused for a moment, looked up and smiling, said, quote, I still don't know who that is. Sorry. Close quote. That's one of my absolute favorite moments for this whole series. I still don't know who that is. <laughs> Hall of Fame basketball coach. I don't know who that is. Sorry. Like, keep in mind. Keep in mind. The, let's, like they're let's trying recall. to prove it to her and being like, yeah. no, he's keep done mind. this and let's, this and this. And yeah. instead, she's just like, I, I still don't know. Yeah. Doesn't help keep, me. <laughs> keep in mind. Uh, let's recall a quote from the last episode from Tina Thompson. I got the ball. And made my shots. And now she's taking like very subtle digs <laughs> at, <laughs> at Frank Layden. I just uh, her, her growth in the someone, in the post game quotes has, has, has come so along. Not so interested in building a brand because social media isn't a thing yet. This is <laughs> this is just someone who's like I'm raw and I don't have to worry about that. That's my agent's job. T- like, Tina. <laughs> Tina Thompson in Twitter era would be a juggernaut. (laughs) (laughs) She'd be such like, look at like Liz Cambage esque, but also Tina Thompson, like, like proven hall of famer, Tina Thompson. Like I just love, yeah, it's so good. Uh, Let's go to move on from there. We're going to get to the first week. August 6th, 1998. This would roll. uh, This victory rolls into what, uh, was known as one of two huge morale boosting events for the team two days later. And a lot of that because of the individual who was cited as a part of this turmoil, who called out that there was this locker room stuff happening, right? Right. First, uh, the Comets take down a red hot Phoenix Mercury team, which really becomes uh, you know, a huge part of the night. This, uh, The highlight of this is a performance from Kim Peratt, who scored 16 points, with seven assists and four steals while yeah. causing absolute hammock for Mercury stars, Jennifer Gillum and Michelle Timms. Secondly, the second morale boosting piece, Nike announces the release of Cooper's first signature sneaker. The, I don't know if you guys know the name of the shoe. You ready? I don't. The Nike air shake em up. No <laughs> Google. Where the, are you? The air Nike shake em up. Air I'll let you, I'll let you hit the Google verse real quick. Oh, <laughs> okay. That looks like a 1998 shoe. <laughs> it really does. It really does. It reminds oh it reminds gosh. me of like early the early Shaq shoes. Ooh. Yeah, types. But I do really Ooh. like those sneaks. I'd okay. I'd wear them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The air the air swoops are iconic. Iconic. That's a good shoe. But these again, look like. They have a disease. Yeah. Or lace holes like eyelets that are not useful. It's <laughs> in 1998, though. Like, that's a hot sneaker. I believe I sometimes I have a hard time going. I wasn't that old then, but I, <laughs> I remember sneakers only coming in like yeah. white and black. And there's only keep so many mind, designs. Keep in mind that a couple years later. Everyone I knew was clamoring for the Kobe twos, which was basically like a Volkswagen Beetle that was suns, <laughs> like sunshine yellow. Like, this was a solid look. So the air shake them up. Um, and, you know, it, we could talk a lot about the shoe itself, how it compares to the swoops. It's not. But again, this, this ties to that narrative of like Cooper and swoops. 
What's going on with these two? This is all this, you know, power being switched around. Now, Cooper, very excited about this, called the shoe release a dream come true. And she also says, quote, a great opportunity, not only for myself, but for young girls not to have to buy men's shoes. Now they have their own shoe made exactly specifically for a female's foot. There's two things I want to call out about this quote. One, like I said, we need to bring back this level of women's sneaker hype. Yeah. Right? At the very least, let's just bring these shoes back. Like the, the nostalgia of bringing back the shake em ups or the air swoops or any of these things. I think that narrative needs to happen. However, I just want to pay attention. We've, we've shared this timeline. Now they have their own shoe made specifically for a female's foot. Cheryl yeah, had a shoe released I was gonna say. months earlier. <laughs> the more you look at the seeds that were planted in this power struggle, it just adds to the narrative of how crazy this whole story is. And it makes yeah, it this fun. Is, this is really, yeah. It, 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 yeah, that's kind of a... I mean, I thought we were going to break down that I didn't know there was a huge difference between a female foot and a male foot, but, um, yeah, like that, that's kind of a pretty big shot, especially if you've got a teammate who literally just had her own shoe released not long before You're yours. Insane. And you mind, like, Swoops was the first player to have an official shoe deal. I mean, she was, she's known as the first one to, to land that. Yeah. And yeah, Cooper coming in was saying, oh, well, now they finally have this thing. Maybe the intentions aren't to make that type of a statement, but you you wonder with with these. This is very much like a Justin Timberlake, Jason Chazé scenario. She might have been just trying to sell her shoe hard, which is fine. Yeah. I have no problem with that. But in a world where she could easily say, wow, now we have all of these shoes that these girls can wear. Isn't it so cool that players are getting the shoes? Nah, now we finally have one. (laughs) Am I reading too much into it? Probably. But isn't it fun to do that sometimes? (laughs) Pettiness Uh, in sports. Pettiness. If do right, no can defend. Uh, Guys, let's hit (laughs) to the end of the season here because we talked about these two juggernauts so much. It's amazing the heroes we're about to learn about. August 19th, uh, all in all, the Comets finished the regular season at 27 and three. There's repeat Jeez. MVP and coach of the year nods for Cooper and Chancer, respectively. And they got the lion's share of the swagger heading into the playoffs. So let's They've hit August 23 games all season, <clears throat> all season. That's bonkers. And the second loss, like the team blew up in the locker room. Apparently <laughs> like, <laughs> They're like this is we're all individuals. We're not playing as a team. You lost. You had a 900 record, and you're pissed. We're not playing as a team. This Go is for amazing. The throat. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna we're enough. gonna make this next section quick. Uh, August 22nd. We're gonna make this quick. The Comets uh, sweep their way through the semifinals with 14 and 60 point wins over the Charlotte Sting. Now this Jeez. sets the stage. Poor Charlotte's for- just been like this, like beat down like we've just like cruised through both of these like charlotte matchups because they've just been like not that interesting it sucks because there's so much to like about the sting and it gets better in the next couple years uh that said this sets the stage for the first best of three finals matchup with the comets facing up against coach cheryl miller and the phoenix mercury oh yes because you said the the phoenix was playing really well earlier when uh when Houston beat them, right? Yeah, extremely well. They were surging toward the top of of the standings. 
And that win was huge because it kind of stunted a little bit of their momentum, which we're going to have a couple callbacks to that exact night that make this even more interesting. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Crazy to me, this whole thing. And and by the way, you're looking at, um, you're looking at, te- you know, teammates of a historic college team at USC, Cynthia, Cynthia <laughs> Cooper, Cheryl Miller. It's Cheryl Miller being Cheryl Miller, including Cheryl Miller's personality and her absolute unwillingness to to shirk on any claim. This is good fun. Uh, Miller was definitely the main antagonist of this portion of the story. <laughs> After losing to the comments in the game we just talked about, Miller gave what was called a soliloquy to the home crowd, <laughs> stating defiantly that the Mercury would make it to the finals and would beat the Houston Comets. Oh my gosh. There's so I, much of this. And yes. I, like so much of it. And we need like there, and giant there's not a, claims. Is there not enough of it now? Because there's not nearly enough of it now. I could you imagine uh, if before let's say last baseball season, the Washington Nationals were like, we're going to win the chip. You'd be like, okay. <laughs> we're coming. <laughs> okay. coming. We're coming for the cheating Astros, and we're going to win it. Because <laughs> yeah. because simultaneously, it would divide the country between like, let's freaking do it, and like, you can't say that. You don't get, <laughs> you don't get to say that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I love about this. Now, the best part about this Keep in mind, like, where are they? They're in the finals against the Comets. So the Mercury responded to that soliloquy by losing their next five games and seven of their next nine. <laughs> oh, my but word. They were still, they're still able to work their way into the finals matchup, of course, uh, with two great teams and also two MVP contenders. Cooper wins the MVP and Jennifer Gillum was the second place vote getter. At one point, Miller's claim didn't exactly feel much out of reach, though, because the Mercury steal game one. They win game one on a night. Cooper drops 29 points. uh, But outside of that, the Comets lineup is completely cold and the Mercury go up 1-0 in a best of three series. So Miller, of course, anything but quiet about this. Oh, yeah. So so share Miller anything but quiet about this. Direct quote, quote, like they said in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. We've been getting a little bit of heat lately because of brash statements made by the head coach pointing to herself. If you don't believe in this team, in this city, in this franchise, I tell you it's on. Close quote. I just oh, I love Cheryl. Dude, Miller I want to play for way. Cheryl Miller right now. <clears throat> like I, I I'm ready to play against the Houston Comets and it's 1130 yeah. in my basement. So it's the it's the best. I just I love Sherwood. <laughs> so let's hit August 29th. The Comets walk in a game two in a very rare spot. They're facing elimination backs against the wall. Now there's seven minutes left in this game. And again, keep in mind, best of three. The Comets are trailing by 12 points. Seven minutes left. On the back of a combined 29 second half points between Cooper and Swoops and a monstrous game on the boards from Tina Thompson. The Comets make a huge run to force an overtime to seal a five-point win and even the series for a decisive Game 3. Game 2 OT. Let me me make sure I got that right. So so they had had to hold off a 12-point lead for seven minutes to just in Game 2, to just win the championship. Seven minutes away from a championship, and they they coughed up a 12-point lead. That is a tough break. That is a hard one to swallow in the locker room. (laughs) 
and in overtime. And I think we've all watched that game where a team was in the lead and and an overtime was forced. And you're sitting there watching being like, yeah, they're not winning. Yeah, that game. They're not going to win it. Yeah. This well, thing's over. And then as soon as they lose, it becomes, well, they aren't going to win game three. Like yeah. they just, they, they had the chance. They just lost their chance. They're not getting another one. Yeah. This is what Steve Pierce did to the Dodgers in 2018. This is, yeah, we're, yeah, the series is over. Like it's, yeah, there's certain yeah, times you're like, like this he, is done. Like he got the MVP for that when it because it was just yeah. the moment. It was like, all right, I think that's it. They like, needed another win, but it's like it's happening though. It's, it's, you don't come back from that type of stuff, and that's kind of what this felt like in a way. Now, if you we talked about Cooper and Swift performances, Thompson on the boards. If you ask Coach Chancellor, the real star of the night goes beyond those names specifically. Quote: Listen. I thought Swoops and Cooper today were the same thing they've been for us. But if you want my honest opinion, the difference today was Janeth Arcane, close quote. Upon that 12-point deficit, Chancellor made the change to swap Parat out for Arcane. Arcane was phenomenal on the defensive end, holding Michelle Timms all-star to three points for the rest of the game, along with sinking two huge shots late to help seal the Comets win in overtime. In the lead-up to the championship-deciding game three, we hear from Cheryl Miller again. I think she says this best, quote, if you thought game two was a dog fight, you haven't seen anything yet, close quote. Let's see how that works. This is the first WNBA game to make it into the month of September. September 1st, 1998, the Comets start off game three looking much like the 27-3 and team we'd seen all year. They're holding a 10-point lead at the half. That said, the Mercury surged to, the, to their first lead of the game, and it, within the first four minutes of the second half. So they cut that Oops. lead off pretty darn quickly. So yet again, last game, you had to come back from the depths of hell to win this just even series. It seems like things are rolling and all of a sudden they surge to this lead four minutes into the second half. Who who do we have to pay to get the footage of that halftime Cheryl Miller speech? <laughs> yeah. Right. Dude. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall in that locker room? Like that's that's a sports moment that Time Machine Logan is going to go back and witness someday. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, like I said, I mean, you look at that line of uh, they surge back, they pull this lead. Again, the comments are feeling that momentum shift. Tough spot to be in. Enter Kim Parat. Yes! <laughs> Parat steps up from this point with two free throws, a steal and three that put the Mercury back up by three. The Mercury turn around. Uh, sorry, put the Comets back up by three. I don't know why I wrote that wrong. The Mercury then cut the lead down to one several times in the closing minutes. But the Comets never give the lead up after that surge, and they seal an 80 to 71 point victory for their second straight championship. <sighs> Parat and Cooper then celebrate with the patented raise the roof celebration, which would become a widespread motto for the Comets fans moving forward. You, you look at any home game from that point, it's raise the roof signs, it's it's people with raise the roof shirts, everyone's raising the roof after a shot. And it, I, it, it, it was I, known serious. before this, it was really kicked off after this title. I, I mean this, I forgot about raise the roof. Like... Like it's echoing in parts of my brain that I haven't accessed in like 15 years. Like, yeah. cause, cause it was, it, it wasn't like dabbing. 
because it was actually cool for a period of time. Like, no, the, raising the, comments, the roof was legit. Even in 2020, the comments made it look cool. It's it's one of those things that, like, you can see how one turned into another. And I just did it, and I couldn't, I've never felt so weird. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was... It, it, it was really interesting, and it became a motto. I mean, you saw it everywhere at this point. Now, as I said, Perot was clearly the unspoken hero of the finals. Looking back at game two, so let's go back to that. Chancellor called a timeout uh, when Houston... So this is a story just to explain this. Uh, Houston was down 12, and so Chancellor calls a timeout. He drew, draws up a series of plays, preaches wildly in an effort to convince the Comets that they could still win the game. Yeah, he explaining this, he says, quote, I could tell from the looks on their faces that they were really buying it. Close quote. Then it was Parat. <laughs> that is not inspiring. Yeah. Then it, was, <laughs> then it was Parat, 12 point deficit back against the wall, who already had been playing despite a severely sprained ankle, who stepped up in front of the team and yelled, quote, hey, we've got to play. We've got to do our job. We've got to play defense. We've got to tighten up. We've got to play together and we've got to listen to coach close quote. And of course the rest is history. Quoting chancellor again, quote, there's no question in my mind that moment is what won us our second championship. Close quote. Oh. My, so look, my question is this, Steve, after this series is over, are we dedicating the entire show to Kim Parat or Kim Parat and just Brazilian athletes in general, because there's a, a gold mine in both those areas. And I, I want to make sure we explore both. We, I, I, I do know that we'll be hitting some Kim Parat. I did after our last episode, yeah. I looked we're, up some Kim Parat stuff. We're going to, we're going to definitely, I mean, in a yeah. way, yes, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take an interesting tone is what I'll say from this point. So yeah, I, I'm going to hit this a little bit though. So Parat, who Chancellor was previously, Open, we talked about this last episode, was open to admitting he had no intentions of signing in 97. Right? She came on on the practice squad, and he didn't even want to sign her to that. Um, Chancellor Pratt shared a very sweet moment during the locker room celebration with, um, you know, Pratt's with her coach. She's asked by a reporter, this is caught on camera, uh, about her play during the finals. My coach is a lucky man to have me on his team. <laughs> I think, I think, I'm a lucky man to be your coach. That's right, that's right. I'm a lucky man. That moment. Uh, this is like the most warm fuzzy I caught, felt. That moment ever, caught on camera. Ever yeah. on this entire So that show. moment is caught on camera. Would prove to be even more special in time. And we're going to hit that as we get into 99. Uh, thoughts on the 98 season real quick. What a dream season. Like it had. Nuts, huh? You you lose three games all year. Well, no, four if you include one in the finals. You come back in game two from like you like you literally have this perfect season because even you know you don't want to sweep out in the finals like adding some of that like Cheryl Miller drama to the end and like being down mm. and down you're down one game and you're down 12 late in the game and you got to come back and force OT like this yep. is huge like this yeah. is such a fun season this would be a dream of a season for any sports fan for their for their team. When when you look at any dynasty, it, it's tempting to just look at them and be like, oh well, they were just the best team every year and they they dominated and no one could beat them. Yeah. But like the fact is, like New York could beat them, they didn't, and then Phoenix could have beaten them. They had them in overtime, they had them in regulation <clears> and then <throat> in overtime, and then a little bit in game three. And so it was never like even though they were you know twenty seven and three and they were the best team, yeah. like. 
it wasn't like they had all the talent and and nobody else had any talent and they yeah. waltzed their way to, to all these titles. Like history, you know, tilted on like you said, like a the like Kim Parat steal and three pointer and halftime speeches and and yeah. I that's that's a much more compelling way of constructing a dynasty than simply, you know, like like baseball in the forties or basketball in the sixties, where it was like, well, we our guy could dribble left handed, so we won every game. Uh and yeah. you know, we, we had the five <laughs> we had the five best That's, hitters in all of baseball. Like so I said, we, we won the, every game. The Celtics are known for the Oscar, team that won eight in a row because they yeah. had a player who was four Phil feet Russell. taller than the rest of the players and everyone else still looked at their feet when they dribbled. <laughs> you had the Yankees who won a bulk of their championships right after World War One. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm not discrediting the fact that they won a good bulk of championships in modern years, but it's to say like that huge number and all of these streaks came at very early years. It really the only other relevant streak when you talk about it is it's probably the New York Islanders because they, right. they well, won four straight Stanley Cups in the Gretzky era. Like with, yeah, with every dynasty, I'm always looking for like, all right, why were they such an outlier? Like what? What happened? Was it was it Tom Brady taking a pay cut at quarterback because he was married to a billionaire, or you know, was it that there was there a rule change that favored that that team at that time? And this is interesting because it's literally just like, no, nah, they just had guts. Like they could have easily lost both of those championship games. People uh, people definitely <laughs> want to put this on. Oh, but well, they got Cindy Cooper and they just had this huge roster. Like, of course, they were, they were going to be that good. It's you can't. You know, you go down this entire 10 to 12 player roster and and there's roles all over the place. I mean, that's how good this was. We talk about Chancellor and we talked about this a lot. Like, you know, I put my son Henry to coach that team and they probably do well. <laughs> Chancellor proved himself quite a bit um, in his ability to to push things forward. And by the way, this is a coach that let, you know, a former practice squad member, you know, snuck their way in as my point guard into the starting lineup, not necessarily a star of the team, step in front of me and talk to the team to motivate them. There's not a lot of coaches that are willing to do that in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that says, I think, you know, a lot can go to coach chancellor. And by the way, that's, that's including that so much credit goes to swoops and Cooper and Thompson. And, you know, you look at this whole roster. Um, that's what amazes me about this entire season was just the, the pure, uh, like the dominance of it was insane. And that considers there was a lot of competitiveness. People might realize like there's a lot of details about the whole the season on a whole, the WNBA overall that we might be skipping. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of those is we got to get through four seasons in, you know, an hour and a half to two hours. The other side of it is there's a lot of narratives that we want to hit in future episodes of this show. Right. So we might mm-hmm. leave some stuff out cause we want to hit to it later. Um, but we talk so much centered about the comments, not to realize, you know, the Sting played great basketball. The Mercury were red hot for good portions of the season. The Liberty were still playing very strong basketball, but just got upended. Um, you know, the Sparks are trying to find their own. Lisa Leslie is, you know, tr- you know, trying to recover from her modeling career, as I'm sure the papers would say, and <laughs> all that stuff. There's so much <clears throat> going on. And that speaks so much more to that's the level of dominance that the comments had at the time. No, it is, it, yeah. When you sit back and yeah, it's pretty nuts for sure. Um, so let's move on here into the '99 season. I'm gonna give you guys just a quick fair warning. I I don't want to spoil too much. It gets it, this '99 is a lot. 
Um, there's a, there's a lot to deal with. I personally had a difficult time getting through this. It took forever to get through 99. It's just a lot for a lot of reasons for ups and downs. I'm just dropping that right now. And also just, you know, I may get suddenly emotional in certain places, but we're going to head right into the year 1999. Uh, so kicking it right off during that off season, Perot was invited by the Houston Chronicle to be a regular contributor on yo, which is the name of their youth centered newsletter. Uh, it's just called yo. Sweet. Um, That's such a 99, like, like 1999 yeah. thing. They're like yo. kid and teenage. Yeah. And it was, the, yeah, this kid and teenage centered newsletter that also was like an online, like chat type blog thing. They were trying really hard to be late nineties internet hip. Um, <laughs> yo, but I'm just uh, going to say that several times throughout this to part. be uh, a frequent columnist. Um, with frequent columns by other notable Houstonians, right? Other athletes, celebrities, whoever, you know, just all these people that are trying to talk to the kids, right? So Cooper uh, had contributed to this in the previous season, uh, but Perot was especially known to write very unique and engaging columns that connected really well with youth. There were a lot of people who actually um, said it as, you know, there were other writers for the Chronicle that said that Perot was like these youth were getting advice from their big sister, uh, youth and parents wrote letters a lot to the paper saying how much they loved her columns and loved her insights. Uh, it was very sweet. And and she's someone who, when you, I, you know, I read every Yo column she wrote. She definitely was not a trained classical writer, but there was definitely that tone of that big sister tone. Like she knew how to get on their level. And it was, it was really interesting. And she reportedly just loved doing this, loved going uh, and writing these pieces. And she loved getting on these basketball chat rooms and answering youth questions, she went by the screen named Kim Bim. Uh, yes. And she was just kind of, I mean, we talked about it already. She's just the patron saint of fan favorites. I mean, that was really what made, makes your story so amazing. Um, the offseason for Cooper is a real uh, flip from the previous season. It's an extremely difficult year, which is a contrast from that star-studded I'm going on talk shows. I'm playing Clyde directly. I'm doing all this cool stuff. Um, in December, Cooper was on a corporate visit with a uh, league sponsor, General Motors in Detroit, when she got a call that her mother, who was suffering from breast cancer, was rushed to MD Anderson Hospital after a bad reaction to chemotherapy. She flew back mm -hmm. to Houston to spend as much time as she could with the family. Um, and a day after returning to Houston, she got a call that Perot, her close, you know, which, by the way, we haven't hit much. Cooper and Perot are very close friends. They're extremely uh, tight knit. We talked about how they both did the raise the roof thing. The storyline apparently is that Perot started doing it and then Cooper kind of made it famous because she's Cynthia Cooper and Perot would always get in her case like you took that from me. And it was, you know, they were extremely close. Um, apparently Perot was rushed to the hospital. There was no discussion as to what had happened. She was released. Things were fine, but it was just one of those that happened right on the heels of her dealing with her mom. It was just a lot of stress, right? So nights later, it's around 4 a.m. A Cooper was leaving the hospital heading to her Sugarland home. I lived in Sugarland for a while when I lived in Houston. It's an interesting town. Um, but she, she's heading there from the hospital when she's run off the road. Uh, she's generally oh. safe, but she suffered injuries to her back and neck and her Mercedes convertible suffered an estimated $30,000 in damages. Oh, days after that, a fireplace mishap with one of her nephews results in one of her two homes being burnt to the ground. Luckily, all of her relatives did make it out of the home safely. And that included, uh, if I believe the article is correct, uh, nine nieces and nephews uh, were mm -hmm. in the house. Luckily, everyone made it out safely, but lost a home. 
Um, so uh, yeah, just, it's crazy. Like last year, it's all the star studded, you're on TV, all this fun stuff. And then just all the stress of this off season is really, uh, is really intense. We're going to switch gears. I know this is kind of sudden. Um, we talked last episode about the ABL, uh, and yeah. they start at the same time. It's these two rival leagues come together. Well, around this time that all this is going on in the off season, the ABL announced they are ceasing operations due to financial concerns. Uh, meaning that there's a bevy of players and a bevy of organizations that are that are now defunct. At the time, there were no plans set fully in place for the WNBA to intervene, but the league did announce that ABL players would be involved in an upcoming draft to support um, the expansion of the league. They expanded by two more teams. So let's hit this again, guys. Who are those two teams? Now I got to think back a little ways. Uh, who's still Atlanta has got to be one, right? Uh, Atlanta wouldn't enter league till 2008. Oh, duh. Yeah. Sorry. You just had mentioned them earlier. Yeah, no. Um, dude, I don't know. I'm trying to think <laughs> of who, if, if the come. last one wasn't Washington, I would have just kept guessing Washington. Just kept guessing Washington. No. Uh, so these are expansion, not transfers, right? These are expansion teams, yeah. Okay, so I would think that... Hmm. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Oh, uh, Miami. Uh, Miami, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Would happen, but uh, not yet. Uh, one, I think you guys might kick yourselves over, but the other one, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I. You want to take one stab, Logan, and then we'll move on. Is Minnesota now or later? Minnesota Lynx are one of the teams. Okay, I have no so, idea what the other one is. Then the Minnesota Lynx <laughs> and the Orlando Miracle. Oh, oh I love the Miracle. You were in the league right area. Yeah. yeah. So, um. Yeah, so they they uh, would sense. add to uh, to the squad, so that grows the league to twelve teams, and they also announce an expansion of the regular season from thirty to thirty two games. So they continue to kind of baby step that season so, wide. All right. So, so, they, so uh, they keep they keep walking up the length of the season early on. Does does that like I keep trying to do the math? Uh, yeah. In in like twenty years, we only expand the season by like four more games. Like, so it, mm-hmm. I guess I didn't appreciate it's, how rare it was for the season to be lengthened when the, it happened the this season, last year. The season's 34 games for the long, for a long time. Yeah. You know, for I, like a decade I didn't realize how, like, like the new CBA is awesome and, and pumping new, like, money into, like, the stars of the WBA is awesome. I don't think I understood how rarely that occurs these days that the season gets yeah. not just more I'm, coverage, but yeah. also just more games. Anyway. I'm a, bi- I'm a big believer we need. We'd need a lot more games, but that's me. So, um, <laughs> so obviously that that's important news coming into the season. It is also a little bit of a break from the harrowing news that we dive into, um, which will continue here on February 13th and 99. Um, Chancellor, who's acting, keep in mind he's a head coach. He's also the general manager of the Comets. So acting mm-hmm. as general manager announces that Cooper's mother, Mary Cobbs, lost mm-hmm. her can- her battle with breast cancer. And either Cooper or the family did render comment, uh, but they do make that announcement. That's on the 13th. February 22nd, nine days later, 
Kim Perot announces at a public presser alongside Coach Chancellor that she has lung and brain cancer and will be going in for surgery in the coming days. I knew, yeah, I knew Um, this about Kim. I knew this was coming. I did Google Kim Perot right after our last episode, and I was... I knew that this was coming. This was a long-standing story because there was speculation of something going on. She went to the hospital, no one knew why, nothing came up, and she apparently just announced publicly, like, um, in fact, the day before this, she was leaving MD Anderson, and there were reporters asking her, and she said, listen, I have a public statement prepared. That's what I've decided to do. You'll hear more details then. The next day, she announces this. Apparently, the whole time, she was grabbing Coach Chancellor's hand, never let go. Um, mm. of his hand during the entire presser and did her best to stay positive, talking about how she had every intention of fighting this and, and, and beating this. And I just think about that chancellor moment because keep in mind again, we just keep going back to it. Like this guy wasn't even going to sign her, uh, had no intentions. And you just like, it's, you really see what this relationship was, including her friendship with Cynthia Cooper and, and with the, t- and her effect on the team and, and so much of, of what she contributes here. I, I did no no research. I I have purposely been trying to stay away from like the the details of this story. So as this unfolds, I am increasing increasingly not angry, but I thought the sorrow of this story was going to come after the dynasty, not mid dynasty to like player health. Yeah, the this um, this <laughs> this four year stretches a lot. Um, part three with those final years is, is going to be interesting and there's going to be a lot of harrowing stories, but a lot of the drama for the ups and the downs come in this time. I'm, I'm just going to give you guys a fair warning. And I don't know if this is spoiling things for anyone who's trying to keep out of the story for these episodes. Like I haven't been able to write or review this and not <laughs> break down. So I'm going to do my best to be professional, but we'll see how things go. Um, on March 1st. So, uh, you know, a week and a half after this announcement, um, she would return home from surgery. Doctors did say they were very optimistic about her recovery. Apparently things were pretty successful. And they felt really good about things moving forward. March 18th, um, Parat did make a return to her yo column. Uh, Cooper would pick up periodically in that time. So there were a couple of months where she didn't write a column. I mean, for obvious reasons, Cooper would write things in her stead and nothing really would acute to this. Up to this point in March, uh, Perot hadn't really said anything about what was going on. Um, she then returned to her column on March 18th. I, I just want to read a quick snippet um, from from this column specifically. Quote, often we hear about the bad things that happen in this world, but not enough about the good. After these past weeks, I have strong evidence that the world is still full of compassionate and caring people. Since I announced my cancer diagnosis, I've received an overwhelming amount of, of support from people throughout the world. Every day we're given the opportunity to affect the stranger's life in a positive way. Why not take the extra effort and make someone's day a bit brighter? I can attest to the fact that the kindness of strangers is a powerful and inspirational force. Close quote. Really quick, I read through that. Doesn't that just make it clear uh, how she was able to connect with youth who are reading this yeah. paper? That's like, exactly. First yeah. of all, it's called Yo. You guys can imagine exactly how this thing's laid out, right? Yeah, like it's a very forcibly it's a junior high sociology textbook. It's trying so hard to look hip and with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's talking to them like people. There's something about it that's just it's straightforward, but it's one of those like, I'm not going to force the idea of connection. But she also makes yeah. this distinct point where this could very much be about the, a lot of things you hear when someone's going through this. 
And she makes it very clear. What's really helped me is the efforts of strangers. You should do the same. I just thought it was a really interesting, you know, in her first real opportunity to talk to these people that she really cares about in this youth community. This is, you know, the first time they really hear from her. Um, this is, you know, the, the message that really gets sent out. I thought that was really interesting. Um, let's go ahead and take a deep breath because we're about to talk basketball again. <laughs> okay. I, through the series. I cannot it's, stress how unprepared for that story I was. Like, <laughs> I do feel like I cheated a little bit. Like, when I, 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 I was like, let's go. I never want this episode to end. And now I'm like, well, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. I, as you were responding in 98, I definitely vibed with you, but there were definitely points where I was like, oh, okay. Um, he doesn't know, does he? And so that's when like Kyle's like, oh, I'd write up. I was like, okay. So you, like, it's one of those, I know Kyle, if you felt the same thing, just like, oh dear. Okay. Let's mm-hmm. get through it. The 1999 season. Um, let's move on <laughs> into the 99 draft. I, oh, sorry. I flashed back just now to like several English classes I sat in in college where, people would reveal things about the plot of books that I hadn't read. And I would have to like act like I knew that all along, but secretly I was like, holy crap, I got to read this freaking book. Like, <laughs> this is a crazy twist. It's pretty nuts. Anyway, it definitely is sorry. pretty nuts. Sorry, go on. So uh, we're now to May in 99. Uh, the, you know, things move pretty quickly here, but um, this is the, the 99 draft. And, you know, I want you to pay attention to his name, see if anything comes out of you really quick. So, uh, four rounds, first round, uh, they draft Natalia Zasulskaya out of Russia. This is the only non-ABL draft pick they have. ABL took up a lot of this draft. Um, in the second round, they take Sonia Henning from the Portland Power. In the third and fourth drafts, they pick up two players from the New England Blizzard, Jennifer Rosati and Kara Walters. Guys, yes. remember Kara Walters? They finally got her. They finally got their girl. <laughs> they finally got their goose, right? Yeah, their the, their first round pick uh, moved to the ABL, and now they they managed to pick up Kara Walters. One thing to keep in mind: Kara Walters did suffer a line of injuries, not quite the same caliber. She contributes to a point this season, but but definitely, obviously, not near what they were expecting in '97. But it's interesting the full circle. Of this, so they wanted two years ago, and now they, you know, they were able to pull that off. It's a really interesting story. So we're about to enter the season. Um, I do want to make one more note on Kim Parra's story before we head into the season. Obviously, we're gonna, as you can't tell, we're gonna bop in and out of this throughout '99. So this is May 6, 1999. Um, which is crazy, May 6th. Um, so Parat announces a joint initiative with the Rockets and Comets for a project being called Kim's Place at MD Anderson. So if you guys don't know, MD Anderson is a very well-known cancer treatment center in Houston. Um, Houston's obviously well-known for having a lot of medical facilities. Their skyline is half business, half like their whole half of their skyline is hospitals. MD Anderson is well-known as, as a famous cancer treatment facility. Um, she makes this announcement officially where else in her yo column. So instead of a presser hmm. or anything, she announces this in her yo column. So I want to read another snippet from this announcement. Because I thought this was really unique and refreshing and just a really cool thing. Quote, I know what it feels like to spend time in a hospital away from family and friends. And it's sometimes a really scary experience. When I first started spending time at the hospital, whew, taking tests and receiving treatment for my illness, I noticed families and children hanging around the hospital with nothing to do. Most of the time, I was in and out of the hospital in just a few short hours. But sometimes families 
are from out of town and don't have anywhere else to go. Kim's place is somewhere these families can go. I envision a place with comfortable chairs and couches with lots of games and, of course, a basketball hoop to get some exercise. I want these families to have the opportunity to continue to celebrate life and enjoy themselves, even though they may be feeling an extremely fighting an extremely tough battle. Kim's place is going to be built with love and determination to bring happiness to those children and families who are faced with a not so happy time. Close quote. I just thought that was such a unique idea. Yeah. Um, of we want to support this facility, but let's, let's, let's give some brightness to this experience, right? It's the darkest of experiences. Let's try to add something that's going to help a little bit. I just thought that was such a unique and honestly, such a freaking Kim Parat idea. <laughs> Apparently yeah. she, she met directly. She went direct to the, to the, um, to, um, lesson to the rock to the comments and basically said, I want to do something. And they weren't sure. And, and this idea just sprung in. She brought it up and they said, okay, whatever you need, we're in, you know, it's very much to the credit of this organization. You know, I definitely make fun of the current day rockets a lot, very much to the credit of this organization. I mean, they didn't bat an eyelash at that. And I just thought that was a really sweet thing. I think we need to talk about basketball for a bit. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's Yeah. Go. So June twenty so, second. This is just heavy. Yeah. So in June, we're now to, we're now all the way to June twenty second. The Comets start the season going seven and zero in their first seven game uh, seven games. The fifth of which is an eight point win against the Western Conference favorite L A Sparks. Uh, they would then end June with eight one record. I don't take what I said lightly. In the news, the Sparks were considered the favorites to win the championship in ninety nine. Over the twenty seven and three Houston Comets. Um, very much the Sparks had bolstered their roster and we're looking to be favorite, and they very much take on a lot of narrative, uh, at this point, but it, it's an interesting note of this was their first matchup of these two teams, a team that suddenly is considered a favorite against the team that's won the last two titles. Just again, adding to a lot of stuff. June 14th is pretty exciting, by the way. This is the first WNBA all-star game. So it's the nice. first year where they, they hold the event. Um, this includes Swoops, Cooper, and Thompson in the starting lineup. So three oh, of the Western Conference starters are Comets. Um, now in this game, uh, Swoops and Thompson both score eight points. Cooper drops seven. MVP honors go to Lisa Leslie, who scores 13 points. Uh, just for fun, some fun little factology here. The top scores for the Eastern Conference are the Orlando, Orlando Miracle Shannon Johnson and Taj McWilliams. And Detroit Shocks shooting guard, Sandy Brondello. Yeah, who, just so everybody knows, I do know this, was taken in the third round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we we obviously here, because we've been doing the show for three years now, I mean, we know Sandy Brondello coach very, very well. Right. Um, pardon my French. Sandy Brondello, the shooting guard? Dope as shit. <laughs> so much fun to watch. If you can find tape... She was so much fun to watch. And for some reason, didn't shock. Like she played exactly how I envisioned her. They just, she was just fun to watch play. I, I just loved it. Any, any <laughs> Phoenix fans listening to this would be like, I get it. You should. She's very <laughs> good. Um, I, I had a list of more notes from this all-star game, but I got really heavy, really fast. Like there was so much stuff about this night that it <laughs> veered from going completely away from the whole point of the episode there's a really good chance we're going to need to do a 99 all-star game episode soon. 
There's just a lot going on. It's just a fun if, night. If we don't get a season, we got a lot of time that we can just do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so down. The 99 All-Star Game is super fun. And, by the way, uh, shown to its entirety on YouTube. So you can check that out for all your needs there. Nice. We're not going to... I will yeah. say it's nice doing a WNBA history thing in the age of like there is footage of some of this stuff around. Like it's hard to come by, but it exists. And I think mm-hmm. for a lot of like other sports history things we talk about, we just kind of have to be like, oh, it's it's out there somewhere. Like <laughs> we yeah. we don't know where it is. Like having stuff on YouTube is kind of uh, uh, an underrated blessing for this this late nineties era. Because remember, like oh for sure, like websites in the nineties. Like if you're younger than. 25 you might not remember what websites looked like when like computers were like whoa like (laughs) like you can whoa you can play like a coloring game on this website like having a computer wasn't just like a given Mm. i i I remember having my family's first computer show up so i don't remember watching videos on a computer even after having a computer for years because yeah. images you'd you'd I mean, click on an image for an assignment and then you'd go do would, something you'd have to sit and wait like five minutes to get the image to load <laughs> even like facebook and twitter weren't very video centric until like 2010 yeah and it was all re- like, like now it's all it yeah. is but it used to be yeah it was very different and like yeah like you couldn't like look a picture like just to just to pull up like a photo would take you minutes uh, it was such a different time. It's so funny too, because I don't know if you guys have had this experience. Every now and again, um, if you like try to pull up a certain, every now and again there will be like a certain ESPN article that isn't in the current database, so it'll pull you into the layout of like a previous version of the website. And I've pulled up articles from like 1997 and be like, "This was ESPN.com." <laughs> <laughs> like, like I look at it now and I'm like, "That was ESPN.com." Like it's kind of crazy sometimes. How those uh, how those things map out. Um, we're gonna kick really fast to July twenty seventh, ninety nine. The Comets dominate the Detroit Shock by thirty nine. But the real story, Jeez. outside of nearly dropping a forty burger on that team, is Cheryl oh. Swoops, who registers the first triple double in WNBA history. They have a player tonight in Cheryl Swoops, bidding for the first ever triple double in WNBA history. First ever. Rosati's waiting for it. Gets the swoops. Down low, Valdemaro. Puts up a hook yeah. shot. He scores. That's it. Valdemaro scores. It's a triple double for Swoops. The first ever in the history of the WNBA. With nine minutes, here's where it gets fun. With nine minutes left in the game, Swoops was only two assists shy of the milestone. And then Chancellor, who is completely unaware of this somehow, takes her out in place of uh or takes her out to put in Amaya Valdemoro because Ugh. the comets were up by 36. Oh, that's yeah. so hard. If you don't realize but if you don't realize like if you the, if you're a coach and you have no idea what's going on, if it's not cluing in yeah. your head, you're like we're up 36, why are you still playing? Minutes later, and I apparently I it, the story said like minutes minutes later, a member of the comets staff tells Chancellor they just got off the phone with the VP of Basketball Operations, Carol Dawson, who's currently on a business trip in Salt Lake City. It's game being played at home. But um, he's calling from Salt Lake City to specifically say, tell Chancellor what's going on and to put Cheryl back in the game. With six minutes left, he put Cheryl back in. 
Here's a fun quote from Chancellor. Quote, I never had this happen before. I thought if the head honcho of the organization wanted me to put her back in, dot, dot, dot. Look, I'm a country boy, but I'm not a dumb country boy. Close quote. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love Ann so much. Um, at this point, the comments um, come out of July with a nine and four record. So obviously they suck. They already have more losses than they did last season. <laughs> Just going down the toilet, this team. Um, so 19 and four, obviously, I mean, the competition's getting more stiff. Um, the, you know, the Mercury is still playing at a decent level. The Sparks are looking like a potential favorite. Um, one interesting element actually is the Liberty, um, who did lose Rebecca Lobo minutes into the season. Um, um, she tore ligaments in her leg and actually wouldn't be seen until 2001. Ooh. Uh, it's a pretty bad injury. It's really tough. Uh, sometimes when you look at her career and stat line, a lot of it's because of those injuries. And we'll uh, probably hit that a little bit later. But again, 19 and four, well on their way to a third straight championship. And again, things take an emotional turn on August 1st, uh, rolling into August. Um, a basketball again takes a mental aside. It's reported that Perot's condition had suddenly worsened. And while they were moving into some last ditch procedures, there was a good chance that Perot may not have much time. The Comets immediately jump into action. They start to bolster more fi financing efforts for Kim Place and move to honor Kim in a pregame to present her with her 1998 championship ring. Uh, there's some video of this moment of her getting a chance to wave to the crowd. It's, it's again, very, it's, it's mm. a sweet moments. She actually does write in yo about that moment. Like, I'm so happy that I got to do this and I love basketball and I love my team and, Thank you so much for being there for me on that night. And it's, you know, another cute moment and, you know, everything about it's great. But moving into August 16th, this is two weeks later, uh, it's reported that her condition uh, began to take a worse turn. Um, and that night, the Comets are hosting the Stars in Houston uh, at the Summit. This becomes known as the Win for Kim game. Cooper. <laughs> and just to guide through what's been going on, Cooper who lost her mother. She lost one of her homes. She had been traveling multiple times every week, wherever they were to wherever her parrot was getting treatment. There was actually a point where her parrot was receiving treatment in Mexico and she was traveling to mm. Mexico multiple times a week to go be with Kim whenever she could. And whenever she was in Houston, she'd go and see her daily, regardless of what they were doing. So she clearly feels the weight of this, as much as anyone probably outside of Kim's family, um, you know, Kim herself yeah. and Kim's direct family. I, you very much see this as someone who's bearing this weight pretty heavily. So on that night, win for Kim in nine point win, Cooper scores 42 points on 18 shots. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> of the performance. This, yeah. Sorry. This, go ahead. this never is anything you want, obviously, but there is like, there's a weird thing that elite level athletes do <clears throat> when something real is on the line. Like, like we talk about the clutch gene when something like the stakes are high, like in a championship game, but I'm thinking about like, um, that Celtics player. Like I, uh, when Isaiah Thomas, um, came out like, like days after his sister had passed and like when emotional things happen, elite level mm -hmm. athletes respond with like a different gear like stuff that we've never seen on the court before. And you can't really expect him to ever recreate it, you know, in a tight spot down the road because you just understand like, 
like, I don't know, The Last Dance is really popular right now, and it's it's on every Sunday. Like, they just aired the episode where Jordan wins, like, the Father's Day mm-hmm. championship, like, the first one without his dad. And and he's crying tears that aren't tears of joy because of a championship win. They're, like, real sobbing like relief tears. Almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I don't know, I it's something that I think not everybody has, but that... Yeah, that I think when you play at that mm-hmm. level, there's just something extra you find you can give when it, it feels like it matters more. Mm. No, definitely. It, it's it's one of those stories of, I mean, it's just, it's an you know, amazing performance. And one of those things of, you know, certain people don't want to challenge it or channel it. In certain ways. Yeah, I know Brett Favre has a classic story of that. I, you know, there's a lot of those different cases, but um, <clears throat> of the performance, Cooper said, quote, I wanted to have a good game because I knew that's what Kim would have wanted. And that's what my mom would want. Close quote. Mm. Um, so again, this August 16th, uh, August 19th, 1999, Kim Parat passes away after over six months fighting both brain and lung cancer. She was 32. I'll just keep it brief so we don't get emotional. But Kim, oh, I Parat, say, but I, I know, cry, I mean... So. Last Thursday, Kim Parrott lost her battle with cancer. The Comets have dedicated their season to Kim. It was our <laughs> She was totally the glue. She made yes. sure everyone yes. was okay all yeah. the time. made our team from a mm. pool of players, yeah. like almost 200 players or something like that who came to try out, and she was picked from that group. Because Chancellor didn't want her. And he didn't want her, like we did. Perot, everybody else been calling you Perot? Perot, but you pronounce your name Perot. And she had played, she's the smallest person on the court, but again, the biggest heart. And uh, for her to fight all the way to the top, you know, again, it's what the league did for us. It let the world know who she was. You know, just think if we didn't have the league, you know, True. no one would know True. Kim Parrott the way that we do. My coach is a lucky man to have me on his team. <laughs> Sorry, coach, hey, tell the truth. I think, I think Parrott, I'm a lucky man to be your coach. That's, that's right, that's, that's right. right. I, I, I'm a lucky man. Two days later, August 21st, the regular season ends with a win over the Monarchs. Two days after that, August 23rd was Peratt's Memorial. Three days after that, August 26th was game one of the Western Conference Finals against the LA Sports. Can you imagine being on the team when all this is I don't, happening? I can't. Like, I've tried. It's like... Uh, Kyle, oh. you and I have had an interesting experience because you and I have talked about my high school's basketball coach and yeah. and his story. And it's, it's, while this is not directly similar, it has some similarities in that he passed away of mm-hmm. cancer in the middle of a season in which my high school moved on to win a state championship. And there's some similarities to that thought of how difficult that was, but I had a lot of friends on that team who also told me in that mo in that time go out, going out and playing was the only thing we even knew how to do. Right. Like it was yeah, the only like time doing, we felt doing the being on the court. Yeah, feel being it, on the court was the only thing. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting because you think with a coach or with a teammate, it would almost not feel that way because they're there with you. It, it, was, it was the only thing we could just think of to get our mind off things. There's obviously a lot of people who are even then it's not going to leave, leave your mind and it's hard. You know, everyone grieves in totally different ways. <laughs> I I just I, a year ago. I mean, a calendar year ago. This uh, this was the absolute powder keg spark of this entire team. 
so exciting. We were all just yelling about her and what an amazing story she had. And she was able to come out of this and win two, you know, two championships and be such a big part of a team and a fan favorite and a local celebrity. And it's just, there's just so much going on. I obviously, I know this is not your fault, Steve, yet I am furious at you for introducing me to a favorite player and then taking it away an episode later. I can't explain to you. You were going, we were going through 98 and everything you were saying, I was just like, Oh dear. I know. I am. I I kept trying. I kept trying. Very upset. Yeah. I I cheated. I, I should have I, had a more real reaction like Logan. Yeah. But I I had to Google Kim Perot when we got off last episode. I'm I'm worthless for the rest of this episode because I feel like such a jerk. <laughs> no, not, I I remember that. learning about Kim Perot um around the time. Um so I remember watching I watched a lot of WMA in the early years. It was it was definitely an intriguing product. It was something I liked. I was a Laker fan, so I liked watching the Sparks. And I remember I remember hating the comments. <laughs> I was a Sparks fan and the freaking Comets kept winning. And I remember learning about Kim and, and her story. And she had this trademark, like bleached, like short hair, mm-hmm. very recognizable. And she, and the more you look at her story and, and, and you watch any tape of her playing and you uh, hear any quotes. And unfortunately there's not very much tape of her. You can find on the internet because there's just not a lot of the early WNBA. Uh, one day the WNBA is going to just open this vault and there's going to be all this stuff and it needs to happen. Um, but you watch her and I mean like that classic story of like, this is a coach is, this is what every coach wants on a team it is the dream scenario. And, um, yeah, it just breaks your heart. Like I, I've, like I told you guys, this is the first time I've been able to actually like verbally go through that story without completely breaking down. I've had to stop doing research. I've had to stop writing. I was doing just like quick, like script edits yesterday to get ready for this recording. I had to get up and walk out just because it's, it's just, it's just so much going on. And, uh, you know, there's going to be more talk of Kim over the next year. Um, but I, I think it's needless to say, just like, what an incredible, I mean, it, so much tragedy, but what an incredible story and an incredible individual. It's, just, it's amazing the impact that she made in such a short time. And her impact continues beyond even to now. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, You guys ready to talk about the playoffs? Do we need like a yeah. mental reset? <laughs> I think, I think, I think I'm, I think I'm ready. I think... Yeah. I, although I'll say I was a little more prepared, but gosh, it is. I'm so glad we're telling yeah. this story. I'll just say that. Like, I'm so glad to be a part of, of for those people who are yeah. joining in on our show that aren't, uh, you know, that are maybe newer to the league, you know, somewhat like we are. I think that this is the kind of stuff like, yeah, you want to tell these types of stories and you want to, you want to, you know, really give a good history of what this team was, what the league was. And, and yeah, I, I, I yeah. just love it. I think it's good, yeah. but yes, I agree. Let's talk basketball. Um, I think before we hit the playoffs, <laughs> cause th- we actually are well over the halfway point. The 2000 season moves fairly quickly, but the, um, before we hit the playoffs, I, I do need to get her a fill in water. I'm not going to make it past this with my throat. So 
We, we will oh, take good. a quick – I think it would be a, a natural reset to get us emotionally ready to talk about basketball again, um, and I'll make that. So uh, I'll go do that, and uh, really quick, we'll be back with this after a word from our sponsor. Hey there, WNBA Nation fans. This is Jason, your editor here at WNBA Nation. Just wanted to jump in real quick because uh, I, Steve was kind of kidding when he tossed to a sponsor, but it's actually a good chance for, for us to, to pitch our Patreon to you guys. We just went through and revamped it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a way for you to support content creators. Uh, and so we've got our stuff up there. We really appreciate those of you who have helped us thus far. And really, this is about you guys supporting us, but also supporting the league in a way. So it allows us to do the show. We're not putting any of this money in our pockets. We don't take home a profit from our, our Patreon at all. Um, all of the money is reinvested into the show. It helps us to to get better technology. It helps us to get better production. It helps us to to look better, uh, you know, all the different things that we're trying to do. Um, the funding for that comes um, in large part through this Patreon and a little bit out of our own pockets because we want to make this show great for you and we're invested in it. And if you want to invest in it as well, um, we want to do that. And we want to make it worth your while. Um, we have access to exclusive content. Um, we, we're coming out with a series of shows. A lot of them, because of coronavirus, we, we also co-released onto the main feed. But in the future, shows like Sports Looks, uh, stuff like that is only going to be on our our, our Patreon feed. Um, it's going to be extra content that's created there. So our regular show content, the stuff that you're used to finding on our channel, will stay on our channel. So we're not taking anything away from our WNBA Nation podcast, uh, but we're just trying to add a few things in there to, to make it worth your while. Um, also, starting um, after this episode, we're going to have extended early versions of episodes. Um, so extended cuts um, where things that end up on the edit room floor and even some pre-record is going to start showing up in your episodes if you're on the Patreon feed. So um, there will be some extra stuff. You get some behind the scenes. And uh, I mean, also chance at some merch um, at our lowest. Uh, we have personalized thank you cards that we send out to you because we really appreciate it. Um, some of the higher tiers, you can get T-shirts, um, you can get sweatshirts, uh, you know, decal stickers. And at our top tier. Um, we even throw in once a year, we're going to buy you two tickets to the WNBA or NCAA game of your choice. Um, you know, and so that's the highest tier, but we'll actually send you out some tickets depending on where you live. If you have a WNBA team nearby, we'll get you some tickets to one of their games. If you have an NCAA team nearby, uh, we'll go that route. So, um, we're trying to do some really cool stuff. We're trying to make it worth your while. Uh, so please come. If you are in a position to help the show financially, please consider doing so. You can find it at patreon.com backslash WNBA Nation. Again, that's patreon.com backslash WNBA Nation. Um, and you know what? If you're not in that situation, we totally understand. Um, what we give you for free on our podcast feed will, feed will always be for free on our podcast feed. Um, so, so don't feel like we're taking anything away from you. We're just trying to create a way where people can, can get more out of the show and also give back to the show as well. So, uh, I didn't come up with a transition to come out of this commercial and back into the guys. Uh, so it's just going to awkwardly end. So from here, let's jump again in, um, you know, really just a week or so removed from, from all of this uh, tragedy and, and, and emotions. Uh, let's jump into the 99 playoffs. Uh, and again, the Comets face off against the Sparks, uh, oft considered the favorite. The Comets actually do lose game one to the Sparks, off Lisa Leslie's 23.7 rebound performance. Um, now the Comets immediately turned that around into a 28 point victory in game two. Oh, <laughs> this is my favorite Jeez. thing. They have four players in double digits. 
Uh, Cynthia Cooper scores 22. And three players score 11. Tammy Jackson, Janet Arcane, and Polina Chikova. Just Wait. coming out of the blue. <laughs> she got drafted a while back. Remember her? Yep. Just right, out yeah, of the blue. Right. I'm going to like drop double digits. I'm going to drop double digits that I in the conference final. I just love it. I put her name in all caps. Not the four my names I anticipated to be. That's actually my favorite thing specifically about NBA and WNBA playoffs. The playoffs in every sports are, are great for different reasons. But specifically in basketball, there's always one. Who just yeah. like, well, like Courtney Lee comes out of nowhere yeah. one year and it's just like I'm the, a dominant playoff player and you're the, like what that easily for me outside of Sue Bird in the semifinals the best thing about the 2018 finals was Sam Bam Sam yes. Bam question yes. just out of nowhere stepping up and just being unstoppable. Well, remember Leilani Mitchell's insane yep. playoff yes. run just a couple years ago because yeah. it's always uh, the the elite players are doing what you expect them to do but then there's all these other players that yeah. find that they have for like a game or two they have a ceiling that you know they, they aren't going to consistently be there but they find it when when it matters and it's my favorite because it comes out of nowhere yep like <laughs> you're just crazy like, that doesn't make sense so, to me anyway so that's why it's fun like chikova 11 points and then in game three cooper and swoop score 23 points apiece Cooper adds 12 assists. Swoops adds five steals in a 10-point victory that clinched the Comets spot in their third consecutive WNBA finals. <laughs> Did Swoops Jared- and Cooper come to an yeah. agreement that if they scored the same amount of points every game, it meant yeah. that no one was playing selfishly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting close to even. They're like, listen, I'll let you get a bucket, and then we're good. Um, care to take a wild guess who they face off against in the finals? Oh, please be New York. It's New York. It's got to be. finals is another classic battle between what has become the WNBA's first great rivalry, the Houston Comets and the New York Liberty. Yes. I love this so much. This would be slightly different with Rebecca Lobo out again. She suffered a torn knee ligament just minutes into the first game of the regular season. This did, however, see the Liberty thrive on the shoulders (gasps) of Teresa Teresa Witherspoon. This is the shot. Hold on. Sorry. We're getting to it. (laughs) Teresa Witherspoon, Crystal Robinson, Kim Hampton, as well as undrafted rookie signee Becky Hammond. Oh, yes. Kyle, quit reading ahead. Sorry, no, no, I just had the realization well, out loud. We we go and talk. We go and talk. It 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 hit me. We go and talk. Yeah. September, so September 2nd kicks us off. Game one really looked like a lot more of the same. Cooper leads the way with 29 points. Swoops and Thompson are both scoring double figures. It's a 13-point victory. Comets win game one. They're one game shy of three consecutive championships. We walk into game two. And. um, So at this point, it's game two. They're one game shy of this. They've never lost a postseason game at home. And they're in Houston for this. While the game was close throughout, the Comets felt very much in control pretty much throughout things. Things looked a lot the same. They led by four with two minutes left. At that point, the Liberty started sinking shots basically at will. And the lead actually alternated a bunch over the final minutes. Now, Thompson, not a stranger to this scenario, sinks a turnaround jumper with 2.4 seconds left to put the Comets ahead 67 to 65. 2.4 seconds shy of their third consecutive championship. And the Liberty out of timeouts. Two seconds short of a three-peat. And that's when we get the shot. Man Chancellor has one timeout left, but he's not going to call it. 
He'll put it in the hands of Cynthia Cooper. Cooper to Thompson. Tina Thompson puts it up. Five shot is good with 2.4 remaining. The Comets up by two. Liberty out of timeouts. They've got to go the length of the floor. Teresa Weatherspoon at the buzzer at three. Oh, she put it in. She put it in. And the Liberty win game two. What a finish. Unbelievable here at the Compact Center. So just for anyone not familiar with this, and, and Logan, I know you've talked about being kind of out of that media front. I don't know how familiar you are with this. So Kim Hampton inbounds the ball to Teresa Witherspoon. She takes uh, three or four large steps toward midcourt. She swerves by Tina Thompson. Thompson still gets a hand in front of her and heaves up a prayer from half court that banks in at the buzzer. And just like that, we're on to game three. <laughs> it is... Everything. It's such. It's I such re- a great. It's a like. There's buzzer beaters, and then there's yeah. that buzzer beater. I remember like, it succinctly so good. because I was living in LA at the time, and I remember it succinctly because Los Angeles sports news kicked off with a WNBA event that didn't include the Sparks, and it was just like you have to see the shot, <laughs> like, and it was amazing. So yeah, the shot, an incredible moment. Logan, I'm not sure if you are familiar much with it. I I have I have seen the shot. I didn't know this was the context, um, especially because I didn't know it was the third run at the championship for the Comets. I, I knew it was somewhere in there, but I didn't know where it fell in the chronology. Yeah. Um, definitely didn't know anything about the Liberty being a routine villain in this. Uh, yeah. Not villain, but like the, you know, the rival, the other side of the rivalry. What kind of villain? Mm-hmm. What kind of villain? What kind of? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just an incredible, well, I mean, just, it, honestly, there's, there's a real opportunity to talk about just the shot in an episode if we want to. Like, there's a way to do it. Uh, we won't talk about it yet, but it's so good. Um, and another SB Nation call out. I guess I love this. They also have a series called Rewinder where they take special, um, moments in sports and break them down as heavily as possible. They do one on the shot and it breaks a lot of this down. It's just awesome. It really is a cool moment. Now, after all the pandemonium of game two, game three pretty much ends on brand. Cooper leads the way with Thompson and swoops, <laughs> joining in with double figures as the Comets lock in a 12-point victory and their third consecutive title. It's official. There's a dynasty in the WNBA. The Houston Comets have won their third straight championship. And I know that that sounds really brazen, but this really is the story of the 98 and 99 specifically comments, which is a team comes in, they put in a juggernaut effort. They run as hard as they can and Houston wins easily. I get this. Yeah. That's my very favorite basketball teams have, have that in them to just be like, Oh, you thought we were dead and buried in the back. Well, you had your chance and you didn't, yeah. you didn't get it. So, so during the trophy <laughs> ceremony, um, in which Cooper receives her third straight finals MVP. That's so um, crazy. The, the home crowd or the parade crowd, whatever you want to call it for, for this championship. This is normally when they do, we talked about the trademark raise the roof. This happened just 12 months before, but uh, this is, you know, to Cooper made it a trademark, something they do this time specifically, actually the crowd was in unison chanting three for 10, three for 10, uh, 10 being Kim Peratt's Jersey number. Uh, three for ten became a huge 
phrase of the time. And, you know, it, was, it became a really special thing. And there's a really iconic moment when uh, Cooper gets up on one of the media stands and, and is holding up uh, Kim Peratt's number 10 jersey. Uh, again, similar to my situation with Coach Alverson in high school when we had fans holding up his jersey and there was a, that's a, like a whole discussion Kyle and I, you and I can have is like a weird tertiary podcast one day. Cause it's quite, it's mm. a bit of a story. Um, <laughs> so we've hit this a lot, but you know, we're going to dive into the final real discussion of this and it's going to drive really fast. We've done it every year so far. I mean, j- just general thoughts on 99. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> It's not necessarily a thought on 99. It's more of a thought on today's Liberty and, and Sabrina and how fun it would be if when she was really picking up, like getting into the prime of her career, if that's when the WNBA decided like, you know what? Maybe Houston does need a team again. And in like 2023, it's like Houston's back. New York's they the get team the number to one beat. pick and they steal Sabrina from. Yeah, they, they, well, they don't steal <laughs> Sabrina, York. but they get like a new generational talent and suddenly the rivalry's back on. Like, this is something I want back. Yeah. Like, I really badly, like, I know we have good rivalries and, and all these amazing players in the current league, but there's just something about like, like if we could somehow rekindle this, um, it would just be really fun. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, this is one of the most like emotionally trying years of, of any team I've, I feel like I've ever mm. gone through. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a lot of them out there, but this is a, the people have been talking a lot lately because the last dance stuff has gotten a lot of hype and people have been talking about, Oh, we need a WNBA documentary like this. And people have been talking about the comments, which makes a lot of sense. You could do a 99, 99 just on comments. 99. Yeah, it's it's something insane. Well, there's there's a million examples of players getting hurt during the year and, you know, win one for, you know, he he wants to be out here with us, but he can't win one for him. But there are not very many examples of losing somebody, um, Mm -hmm. especially someone on the team, like an active player. Like sometimes it's, you know, a retired player that was important to the team or or someone near the team. But um, I can't I mean there are very limited examples of, of losing like a front and center piece of a team and then going on and winning a championship like that yep. very year. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's, <laughs> it's storybook in so many ways. And in a lot of ways you, you'd be very cool if they weren't storybook. <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, you know, I think you and I have talked a lot about it, just the aftermath with my, response to everything that happened with with Gigi and with Kobe and how there were a lot of these tender and sweet moments that I was like oh but what do I give for this to not be necessary oh yeah and there I were times yeah I, I texted you a dozen times I was like the Lakers will win the championship now it won't make yeah. it better it will maybe make it feel worse but like a hundred percent that is going to happen and then because COVID-19 it feels, yeah, it feels like, like a storybook ending yeah yeah and then COVID-19 was just like, all right, watch out, everyone. It's all bad. <laughs> it's all bad. <laughs> so the 2000 season. Um, let's go ahead and move into the really the final year of, of this piece before uh, we end part two. Uh, in uh, late 99 in November, things do get quite zany <clears throat> uh, for the organization. In November, the city of Houston votes down a referendum that would give the Rockets and Comets a new arena, meaning should a deal not take place, the teams would have the option to relocate. 
The next day, the WNBA announced an expansion of four new teams. Save you the time, the Miami Soul, the Indiana Fever, the Portland Fire, and the Seattle Storm. Yeah. The league is now 16 teams strong. No immediate announcement of, a, of an expansion that I recall. I'll look it up as far as like game numbers, but uh, we don't have 16 teams. Uh, there also would be an expansion of three round playoffs. So there'd be a first round, a semifinal, and a final. All nice. rounds are best of three. Heading into the year 2000. Remember when we all thought that was going to be the end of the world? <laughs> when Y2K was the biggest yeah, worry was, we all had. And then it was 2012, and then it was 2020. I still call 2020 yeah. the space still year. So 20 still is, actually. Yeah, it's, 2020 <laughs> is looking pretty strong. <laughs> 2000 was solid. Wait a minute. Is this Y2K? Is that why all this is happening? <laughs> you know, something occurred to me years ago. Were we I, just off by 20 years? My, we all started parents, a 20-year simu- simulation in the yeah. year 2000. My parents uh, computer didn't simulation. talk to me at all about Y2K concerns. I didn't know people legit thought the world was ending until, <laughs> like, a decade later. And I'm a little annoyed that no one even, like, like you don't want to scare a kid, but, like, no one pulled me aside and was like, here's what some people are saying and why you shouldn't be worried. They just ignored it completely. Like, glad it didn't, <clears throat> wor- you know, yeah. it worked out, but... <laughs> yeah. So let's jump into the. I like how that opened up. Jumping into the year 2000. So um, the new millennium kicks off with more relocation drama because we already talked about the referendum, but now rumors are surfacing um, that discussions have been in place with Les Alexander that could potentially send the organizations to Louisville or Las Vegas. This then prompts the launch of a fan-sourced website, SaveOurRockets.com. Early 2000, Ooh. early 2000 internet. Um, yeah, it's a website. So yeah, so, so Louisville and Vegas come up a bunch. A lot of articles, like every couple of weeks in the Houston Chronicle, it's, it's about, oh, could, and Louisville kind of becomes more of the discussion. Vegas kind of peers down, but the idea is like the Louisville Rockets could happen, which by the way, thinking about that is something. It's not the weirdest idea in the world. Louisville's a pretty hefty basketball town. Sure. Uh, College-wise, it right. isn't the fourth largest market in the United States, uh, as Houston is, but it's something. Uh, so it's just an interesting discussion. We'll revisit that quite a bit, but it'll it'll really become more prevalent in the next episode. Uh, in April, we hit the 2000 WNBA draft. Honestly, it's not very relevant. None of those players get minutes with the team. <laughs> but in, on May 6th, the comments do add to their front court. Uh, they signed center Tiffany Johnson, who had gone to start a bulk of the 2000 season's games. May 29th, the season kicks off against who else? The New York Liberty. Uh, Swoops leads the way with 27 points and ride to a 16 point win. Cooper scores 19 points, but more importantly, becomes the first WNBA player to amass 2000 career points. It's a pretty cool thing. On June 3rd, handful of days later, after a loss to the Mercury, you guys ready? After a loss to the Mercury, but you can guess what's gonna, what I'm going to say next, uh, in which Cynthia Cooper held it to six points, Cooper expresses frustration with her right. scoring role. I bet you're seeing a pattern. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as, bit, as it's been clear, the offensive focus uh, would start to shift between her and Swoops. Quote from Cooper, Quote, I'll never be happy with this. That's not me. You're forcing me to be a player after three championships. That is one eighth of my ability. Close quote. 
<laughs> says that directly. Okay. Post-game locker room directly to the media. Days later, Oof. the Comets announce their intention to retire per- Peratt's jer- uh, Kim Peratt's jersey, which would be the first in WNBA history. It says the first WNBA jersey to be retired. The league also announces uh, the creation of the, and you guys might note this now if you've, you've seen this, uh, the Kim Peratt Sportsmanship Award. Uh, this is given at the end of every year. Um, I don't know if you guys paid attention to it. I remember seeing yeah. it several times. Yeah. You know, it, obviously every year. It rings a bell for sure, but I, I never really connected the dots. Yeah. So some, some names who've received the award over the years. Uh, the first recipient in, in 2000 was Susie McConnell Serio from the Rockers. Uh, but recent um, 2019 went to Neko Gumake. Uh, in 2018, Subert received her third sportsmanship award. She also won in 2017. Tamika Catchings had three herself. I know Becky Hammond has one. Uh, just an idea of of yeah. the, t- the types of individuals it's gone to. I know Don Staley won a couple. Um, you know, just a really interesting um, you know annual award that still stands to this day. And I know Subert specifically talks about uh, how important that award has been to her in her career. Um, and, you know, she actually did follow, you know, Kim's game and Kim's career. And, you know, it's an interesting um, piece on that end. So so that gets announced at the end of June. The comments uh, are at that point hold a 14 and two record, which is prime enough for for players to start complaining. But in July 3rd, 2000, as the team appeared well polished and poised to rake in their fourth consecutive championship. Bombshells continue as Cynthia Cooper announces her intention to retire at season's end to the Mm. shock of the rest of the organization. Another quote from Cooper, quote, with different things that have happened this year. I want to listen a lot to this quote. This is really telling to me. And obviously last year, just things that are going on right now. I think it's time for me to move on. I know it's going to make a lot of people happy that I'm to use a cliche passing the torch. It's just time for me to move on. Ooh, this does not sound <laughs> like a gracious two. step down. Yeah, you've won three MVPs, three Finals MVPs. It's just an interesting pattern. It's really interesting, like the yeah. polarity situation. And I don't want to put a lot on this. I mean, this is there's the frustrations, but it's also coupled with the fact that Cooper did come, I believe, at 34 into the league. So it's not like this is a like a early career cut short type of situation. Right. Um, and the last year of her life has been harrowing to say the least. There's just a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she did immediately cut off the idea of being traded or of returning to play with a different team. She very much was big on if this is it, this is it. You know, um, she does say, I, I, I have a lot of game left in me, but I just don't, I'm not feeling happy. I don't want to play right now. So, so this gets announced to the basically the surprise of the entire organization. This wasn't really discussed. Um, and when the franchise kicked off in 97, when you look back on that swoops, absence and Thompson adjusting to rookie life led to Cooper taking on the lion's share of the offensive role. We now kick by uh, three years later and the offensive load starts to get spread between Thompson, between swoops and arcane who had right. a phenomenal 99 season. And, you know, they're all, you know, and Swoops, especially who's performing at the superstar level, expected of her. She's supposed to be the face of the organization. You can see a little bit why those frustrations loom with Cooper in that sense. But needless to say, Cooper's decision to make the announcement in the middle of a heated Western Conference race with no conceivable notice was not 
well received by her teammates. Uh, quote yeah. from Swoops. I'd be that, ticked if I was a teammate. Yeah. That, like, yeah. So Swoops, and this is in a pretty diplomatic fashion, said, quote, Obviously, Cynthia is doing what she feels is best for her, but I'm not sure the timing was best, even though we do have a winning record. But there are so many other things that we're dealing with right now. Basically, we're just trying to keep our team together, trying to find the right chemistry and start playing some basketball. And then to have to deal with something like this is another distraction that we have to think about, close quote. Thompson, on the other hand, much less diplomatic. She immediately calls Cooper's response selfish and then goes on to say, when I was the first college player drafted by the WNBA, I came here and set more hard picks than I ever had in my life. Did I like it? No, but I didn't think it would be right to say I was unhappy. I got three championship rings out of it. Close quote. That's a good, <laughs> good solid perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like I, honestly, when I come out of all of this, the player I'm the biggest fan of is Tina Thompson. Like after all of it, I'm just like, oh, this yeah. is awesome. I just really liked, you know, brash, but smart and well-spoken. But I think so much of this is valid. Like what the hell? <laughs> you could have at least warned somebody. Like, yeah. It's the, the, the whole Cynthia Cooper story is so interesting. Cause there's just a lot to, to dive into. Um, diving more into basketball. So July 3rd, after several rounds of deliberation, Les Alexander is able to get parties to agree to a November 7th public referendum that could secure a new arena for the Rockets and Comets. So basically, in four months, uh, they'll revisit and we'll open this to a public vote, whether or not taxpayer dollars could go toward an arena, uh, which is a big step if it goes through the way that they want it to. Now, after unpacking all of that, let's talk about actual basketball games for a minute. July 17th. The Western Conference dominates yet again against the East in the 2000 All-Star Game. Swoops is the top vote-getter. Thompson registers a double-double and is awarded the MVP. Cooper sits out with a sprained ankle. So oh. all these things chip. And there's, yeah. there's all these little things that happen that are just like this there's powder, just, it's like this this powder little, keg of Cooper yeah, and Swoops keeps happening. It doesn't yeah. end. It's just crazy. Uh, July 29th, skipping forward, on the night that Kim Perot becomes the first WNBA player to have her jersey retired, the Comets fall to the Sparks off of a double-double from Lisa Leslie and a 3-for-11, 8-point night for Swoops. The Comets would go on to win their final five games, finishing with a record of 27-5. and five. However, three of those five losses all came at the hands of the 28-4 and four Sparks, who overtake Houston with the top seed in the Western Conference. Hmm... Yeah, so the Sparks are looking pretty good. It's fun. Uh, kicking up August, this sets the stage for the Comets to square up with the third seed Sacramento Monarchs in the first round of the playoffs. The Monarchs, equipped with stars Ruthie Bolden and Yolanda Griffith, also to go with the yeah. league's top assist getter, Teacher Penachero, who won six of their final seven games to end the season. That's a solid big three for Sacramento. Solid roster. Can they you... won six of the last yeah. seven. There's lots of energy coming out of these Monarchs. However, we're going to make this one quick. Cooper goes off for 25 points to give the Comets an 8 point win in game one. Swoops, Thompson, and Cooper combined for 64 points to seal game two, and the oh, Comets move on. Jeez. <laughs> like, hey, here's a really good team. There's, they've got a lot of momentum. <laughs> Want to lose a bunch? Utter, utter destruction. Yeah. This sets oh. up a Western Conference Finals against MVP contender Leslie and the 28 and 4 Spark, um, and the 28 and 4 Sparks, whom Houston was unable to defeat the regular season. So remember in 97. They were only able to get one win against uh, the Liberty. They're unable to beat the Sparks. And because of that, the home court advantage lies with the Sparks 
uh, in in this case. In a three-game series, right? In a three-game series. So, again, pretty big deal. So, moving to August 17th, after game one, the comments went against those odds and route the Sparks with a 19-point win. So they can't beat them in the regular season, Jeez. and then they beat them by 19. And then they beat them by 20? Holy crap. Now, the next day also favors the Comets. Swoops is awarded the 2000 MVP as well as Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, that's just a little bit of salt in <laughs> the wound of Cooper, because this is the first are, time that she hasn't won the MVP, right? Which are both awards not only well in Leslie's grasp, but also in Cooper's grasp. Also, yeah. A part of the MVP award that year was a new car. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Swoop sneaks in, gets the MVP that Cooper had won three years previous, also gets a car out of it. <laughs> and takes a car out of it. That's like, awesome. What the hell? Like, it's just like, I, I was like, dude, what have I got to do? Uh, it's everything about this is just so fun, but, um, maybe not fun for those two. So game two. Uh, the Sparks looked a lot more in groove with a double double from Leslie and a pair uh, with five assists and a pair of blocks uh, joining four total Sparks scoring in double digits. So Sparks are looking locked in. Um, that said, this was the perfect time to be met with the soon to be retiree who has carried the franchise for the last three and four seasons. While Swimson Thompson together total just 15 points. Cooper's 29-point performance, paired with Janeth Arcane's 16 Shh. points, take up the slack and seal a five-point victory for the Comets, guiding them to their fourth consecutive finals appearance. So it's almost like Cooper's just playing angry in the in this series. Exactly. Just playing pissed off, and, and it is paying off yeah. well. And it's yeah. going to need to, because you're going to be so surprised who they play the finals again. <laughs> It couldn't be the Liberty, could it? Could this that... four-year saga end any other way? Oh my gosh! <laughs> the Liberty. So they had a little break with the, with Phoenix, yeah, and just... like a heated a heated oh. little series with Phoenix, you know. But three out yeah. of four years against the Liberty. Exactly. Poor Liberty. They all they are the Buffalo Bills of the WNBA, I, aren't they? I literally did not know. That three of the four titles were against the same team because I feel like it would have come up more. Like, oh yeah, they hate <laughs> they hate the comets because they lost yeah. to them in the finals three times. If if Lobo had a horrible game in '97, if she plays better and the Liberty turn that around, they can win that. If they build momentum off of Witherspoon's shot in Game Two, they've got that. And then of course there's this series. Like this could this could have been a podcast about the Liberty just oh. as easily. Guys, they lost. They've lost four total WNBA finals. Goodness. Yeah. Sorry, I just looked it up. They lost in two thousand two as well. Talking Bills. Yeah, it's good stuff. Ugh. Um. So, the Liberty at this point are looking to finally get this Galactic Monkey off of their back. Of course, we know how that ends. The Comets <laughs> are aiming to move past their rival to accomplish something only four other sports franchises ever have. So, in game one, um. Terry Phillips of the Liberty drops 24 points and New York finds themselves within two points of the lead in the final minute. Of course, <laughs> yet again, Cynthia Cooper happens. She drives to the right of the lane to sink a running jumper to set the comments just one win short of their fourth consecutive title. 
And I mean, we talk a lot about Cooper's attitude and a lot of these frustrations, but for goodness sake, has she backed up a lot of her words in the postseason oh, yeah. just about every year. Um, and we're going to hit that a little bit more, but August 26, 2000, as with everything the last four seasons, this doesn't come easy. Much like in game one, the Comets amassed a double digit lead and also much like game one, the Liberty scratch and claw their way back. However, this time they pull off a three point lead of their own with just one minute and 20 seconds to play. I wonder if you're curious what happens next, right on schedule. Here she is, Cynthia Cooper, as she'd done so many times, as she did two days ago, did what no other Houston athlete could ever do, and that's actually justify the nickname Clutch City, sinking a deep three <laughs> to force the first overtime in WNBA Finals history. Actually, it's the second overtime. I don't know why they said it was the first, because there was one. I was going to say, yeah, we had one. But she... she Drops a deep three, forces overtime. By the way, if you look up, this is like a beyond NBA link three, like deep, deep three, forces an overtime. And, you know, yeah, by the way, by the way, you can claim the early 90s Rockets in Clutch City, but this, the answer is no. It, it, yeah, like, if you have to go back 30 years to be like, that's why we're Clutch, then... yeah. Like, I think there's a statute of limitations on how often you have to be clutch in order to maintain. The yeah. there's, there's Cynthia Cooper and then there's a bunch of players with trash cans and cameras. And that's that's the clutch. Also, it, to keep things in the in the basketball universe, the least clutch MVP of all time, James Harden, the least clutch MVP ever. <laughs> I'm going to say that one more time for any Houston fans listening. The least clutch MVP winner player in the NBA ever. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at WMNH pod. Um, <laughs> that said, uh, deep three um, sets up overtime and the rest from there is elementary swoops leads the way with seven of the comments, 15 overtime points as the comments end the night with a 79 73 victory and a fourth WNBA championship trophy. A fitting in. Which, fun fact, uh, the trophy, I just learned, is designed by Tiffany's. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Tiffany's actually designs that, which makes sense because it's a fantastic looking trophy. Uh, what a tremendous is, looking trophy. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which, by the way, this leads into an argument I don't have time to go into, which is Breakfast at Tiffany's is a horrible song. And oh, that's makes not no where I sense thought you were going at all. No, I don't <laughs> care about the movie, but like the, the it's one of the stupidest oh. one hit wonders, and it makes absolutely no sense because when you break it down, the song is literally saying, "I want to break up with you because we don't have anything in common." And legitimately, the line goes, "What about breakfast activities?" And she said, "I think I remember the film, and as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it." And I said, "Well, that's one thing we got. That was that dude's way to keep from getting dumped." Was remember that movie we kind of were into? I, there you I go. thought you were going to say something about the WNBA trophy being one of the better trophies, but we, we went somewhere we else. <laughs> no, I'm I, just, I, I saw two with you, and I had to get that out because I just I hate that song. <laughs> it is a good really, looking trophy, though. It's just, but see, I'm sorry. Let's get back to the tremendous looking trophy. <laughs> um, I straight up, I love that trophy. It's one of my favorites. The, the title trophy is fantastic. I also love it. Like sometimes I like it a little bit more than the Larry O'Brien trophy because it's 
it's made to like brandish and hoist. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Yeah. As one who likes trophies are better if you can hold them and do something with them. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not dogging the Larry O'Brien trophy. It's a great trophy. Um, but I like I like that one a lot. Uh anyway. Tiffany's. I thought that was interesting. Uh interesting. Thompson was the All-Star MVP, swoops the season MVP. So it's only fitting for Cynthia Cooper to call it a career with her fourth consecutive finals MVP. Jeez. Um, we're we're about to to hit some questions moving forward, but thoughts on the 2000 season? Uh, dude, as I don't know, man. Those 99 and 2000 are just I feel like I've just like it's taken it out of me. It's too bad <laughs> that Twitter didn't exist back then. Because if I was on the New York Liberty, I would be sowing seeds of discord constantly <laughs> to try and get that team to break up. Be like, oh, Cheryl Swoops' team is really, really doing well ever since she stepped into the star scoring role. And then I would just watch as things just <laughs> I mean, just you could see, like, Witherspoon and company on Twitter in the locker room at some point during the season be like, oh, guys, they hate each other. Like, they're fighting and stuff. This is we, perfect. We got this. This is our chance. Yeah. You'd get, like, the come to L.A. tweets. Yeah. You should just come to L.A. Houston's dumb anyway. Like, <laughs> which which is the the let's go back home narrative is the only thing that exists in sports Twitter now. Oh, absolutely. so that actually does make sense. And I would say on top of that too, it's funny that this was the year when their sense it felt like there was this weird frustration in the background and is this team together? And then they swept through the playoffs. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. noticed that, but they did not lose in the playoffs. This, this would be just, like if the Warriors didn't completely screw it up. And and actually won four like they were supposed to. Um, <laughs> Boy, do you just love bringing that up? <laughs> that might have like, uh, that might have been a topic of discussion in the pre-record. Like just, just once, isn't the Liberty's biggest wish, or just the city of New York's biggest wish? But just once that there was the call of like block by Lobo, and like they could break the four year, but it didn't happen. Like <laughs> that was me referencing block by James, but block by yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, just it, every year has its own theme, and it's so interesting. That said, uh, the comets who've been orbiting close to the sun, perihelion stage for four years, had a bundle of questions walking into 2001. How do they move forward without the first proven superstar? How does Swoops respond to being the sole A1 of the roster? Will the comets even be in Houston this time next year? And of course, can the Houston Comets pull off the unimaginable and bring in quote one for the thumb with a fifth consecutive championship? Simply put, what does the future hold for the WNBA's first and arguably greatest dynasty? We'll answer all those questions and more in the final episode of W History's Chronicle of the Houston Comets. Oh. Yeah, there we have it. Jeez. I'm exhausted. Yeah, that is a lot. That was there was so much. That four ships lot. and four journeys. It really is a lot. Oh. We we uh, uh yeah. All four years were so different too. Yeah, it wasn't just like, like you and had then like that a same team kind of it back again. Like you had like this awkward like coming into its own, and then you had just utter dominance over one season, and then you had like emotional like personal tragedies, and then you had like bitter like kind of this awkward like fighting within and that's in all four of those seasons that came yeah. away with the and trophy. It's crazy. It's like, how has no one ever told the story? How has this not become yeah. a document? Like I, it's, it's such a natural story that tells itself just this four years alone. That to me, 
it just made sense. Like at some point this has to happen. We need, you know, um, it can't just be a haphazard podcast from four dudes who talk about the WNBA. Like some real <laughs> money needs to get put behind. This I really do. F- I really do feel like, and uh, Steve, you have done a phenomenal job. I just feel like uh, just based on our resources, we can't, we're not, we can't even do this justice. No, yeah, like absolutely not. It, it, that's like it, it almost feels like someone's taking this and saying like, "Hey, write a five hundred word you know column on this team." It's like, insane. It's impossible. Yeah. Insane how much I had to leave out of this. Yeah, um, it's really uh. incredible. Like, and and we're closing in on two and a half hours. Like it, uh, which by the way, great job, guys. We kept it under four. I was really wondering how long it's going to go. And, uh, <laughs> I left, I, I'd leave so much, um, on the cutting room floor because there's so much to the story and there's so many details and there's so many great performances and, and it gets nuts. And like, this is just as spellbinding, but takes such a different direction in part three. <laughs> um, like, yeah, like what it's, a story. It's so weird. Cause as soon as we ended part one. I was amped for part two. We're ending part two and I'm amped to just like wrap all this up. You know what I mean? It really is like the whole time I in part three, as we get prepared for it is just really the question that kept hitting my head. It was just, how did this happen? Yeah. And I will say, I feel like by the end of, of part three, it'll be pretty clear. There, there are definitely a lot of puzzle pieces that make sense as to how things ended up when you run into them. Okay. Sweet. I'm excited. This will be great. That said, uh, it's everything for part two. Um, yeah, I, I hope this was fun for everyone. I, I know it was late. And um, I still am not sure whether or not I hurt Logan's feelings, but I right. got through it. <laughs> I am furious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I really am. It's crazy. The whole thing. Um. But that that's really everything. Um probably wanna give a quick shout out to where they can find us on the Yeah. On the World Wide on Web. The interwebs. Absolutely, guys. The best way to get in contact with us is through our Twitter at WNBA Nation Pod. You can find us there. Uh feel free to also reach out if Facebook is your jam. You can catch us there as well. Just search WNBA Nation and you'll find us. Uh if you are listening on uh Apple Podcasts, go ahead, hit that five star rating. It literally takes two seconds, it helps us out a ton. Uh feel free to leave a review there as well. Um and then if you are looking to uh, add any merch. If you're looking for some extra shirts to wear because you don't want to do laundry during, uh, COVID, then, uh, hey, hit up our store envy page. We've got some merch for sale there. Uh, some of the proceeds in, in those, uh, all of the proceeds from one of those lines goes toward, uh, purchasing tickets, um, for, people who have never attended a WNBA game. So you can find that at uh, wmbanation.storeenvy.com and check out everything that we offer there. Jason's been putting in some good work and has some really solid uh, stuff there. Uh, we'll be revamping some of our Patreon, but if you want to get started with us over there uh, for just a couple bucks a month, you can really help uh, help us out in the production aspect of WNBA nation and everything that goes into that. Um, so, uh, yeah, check us out on Patreon as well. And fantastic. Logan, is just anything you feel like calling out and plugging before I put a bow on this thing? 
Uh, no, we're just we'll keep you updated with uh, the latest on the upcoming WNBA season, as as we hope to hear more developments on when it's actually going to start and in what capacity. Uh, and we will also continue to research some interviews. Uh, I've been conducting some interviews. Kyle's been conducting some interviews on uh, interesting voices and coaches and draftees throughout the league. And we'll continue to bring you those sorts of things as well uh, in the interim as we hopefully wait for the uh, the season to kick off soon. Yeah, uh, we had some uh, great. I know we had some great stuff this last week with Kurt Miller and um, with you know obviously some just a, a lot of cool stuff out of the, with the Connecticut Sun. We'll look forward to hearing more of that. So we're doing what we can to give you that quality content that you deserve as we're we're braving through this and getting ready for some basketball. Um, but as we go through that, obviously, really appreciate uh, going through this journey with you for part two of our Chronicle to Houston Comets. Part three will be up and out here for you very soon. But until then, thank you so much for listening to this episode of W History on behalf of WNBA Nation. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Logan Jones. And we'll catch you next time.